ninth episode of mtg fast finance the podcast that's always down to get up to mischief when we're crawling around our secret lair mtg fast finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic the gathering finance collection management and speculation i'm your host james chilcott at mtg critic on twitter my co-host this week as always is travis allen at wizard bumpin on twitter and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering good evening everyone glad to be here uh sort of glad to be here uh yeah uh three sick people and a flat tire earlier today means this was down to the down to the wire here yeah uh and thanksgiving for our american listeners uh which i presume is most of you uh are not our canadian listeners or hosts though (laughs) yeah we took care of that last month i don't know why you guys do that three weeks before christmas (laughs) I don't know. This is they celebrate the week they ran off the most indigenous people. I really don't know how they landed on this particular day. Uh, looking forward to being here and sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. should also point out that Cool Stuff's got a pretty sweet Black Friday sale going on this week, so you'll definitely want to uh, head over to that. Um, I'm pretty sure that their Black Friday discounts stack with account discounts. So, uh, oh dang, that can that can lead to some of the the best prices on their site all year. Wow! So I should make a point of going over there then. Just take a look. So, what uh, is on our agenda this week, my friend? Okay, so we got a pretty full plate this week. Uh, segment one: our MTGO and paper paper medical oh. review. Yeah, been a long time. First yeah. big modern uh, event of 2021, folks. Yeah, which comes with a, a, a note on that as well. Uh, then segment two, our top paper movers. Uh, cards that have moved in price this week, allows along with our top MTGO movers. Segment three, some cards to watch, some stuff James and I have our eyes on for the future. And finally four, we have a Big Secret Layer. Again, feels like we do this every third week at this rate. Between secret layers and set reviews, that's like 60% of our topics based on the rate here. Uh, but yeah, it's Channel Fireball's Modern Vegas event, which had 1,400 players uh, this past weekend. Big modern event. Uh, I, you know, before we even talk about the deck list, you know, we're on Tuesday and apparently some positive COVID cases have started to make it out of the event. People are coming back and testing positive. And I saw a bunch of people on Twitter today, like, like angry that people had shown up when they were positive or they couldn't believe this had happened and what have you. And they were surprised. I'm like, what, what could you have possibly expected to occur here? Like you've like several thousand people convening at a magic event in this convention hall and then cramming into casinos and hotel suites with each other. 
like even if every single magic player was vaccinated, which they certainly weren't, like you were going to get cases. I just the the idea that there wouldn't have been cases that come out of this just boggles my mind. Of course, this was going to happen. Well, and here's the thing: even if everybody at that event was vaccinated, they went to Vegas. They went through public airports. Yeah. They yeah. and Vegas is hardly the place that has been attracting the most cautious uh, folks during the pandemic. So, <laughs> right. It's like I'm not I'm not blaming people for who chose to go. My point is just like you have to know what you're getting into. Yeah, right. Like that, you had to understand what was going to happen here. There should be no surprises. Well, and, in and, any all, case. and all the more reason everybody should still at this late stage in in the situation we just had. Kids vaccines approved in Canada yesterday, so we got Alara booked for hers for first week of December. Super stoked about that. But the bottom line is, vast majority of people I see out there are still not wearing masks when they should be, or they're wearing super unsuitable masks and should have long since ordered something uh, more sturdy. And uh, yeah, here online. in here in uh, Western New York, they just instituted m- m- uh, mask mandates in every public space, which it's the first time since uh, I don't know j- last this past January, probably that that's been true. Um, cases are really high. I think we just had our third our the most number of new the third and fourth days of the highest number of new cases ever so the like does that make sense that i say that correctly yeah yeah so uh we're from the, way far away from being out of the woods here oh yeah we were just like we're you know our family's down in ohio so we were looking at you know can we safely make it down there for christmas uh and ohio cases are spiking super hard <laughs> I mean, this yeah, whole I don't like find... this whole thirty or forty percent of the population instead of ten or fifteen percent of the population being vaccinated thing is going to lead to the vast majority of those unvaccinated folks eventually getting sick. So, yeah, the woman at work asked me like how this ends, and I'm like, uh, everyone is either vaccinated, caught it, or dead. Which I think like the chancellor of like uh, Switzerland or something just said recently too, some European politician, and it's like, yeah. Like that's the oh, that's the end result is everyone who's either vaccinated has caught it and become immunized that way or has died. There just isn't really another outcome. Uh, but let's talk about modern. Well, one, one last point on COVID, just because we have a yeah. platform here. EvolveTogether.com is my favorite source for masks. EvolveTogether.com. I'll take a look at it because I actually just ordered two masks off Etsy a couple weeks ago and I was not happy with them. Yeah, these are these are N95s with, with mm. all the trimmings and uh, okay. come in a variety of colors. They can color match all Travis's work suits. I be... did buy the two new masks to better match my outfits, actually. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's not a joke. I, I would have back in the day, but I haven't been in an in-person meeting here in Toronto in better part of two years, so I can't even remember what my work clothes look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, have, so let's move on. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other topic. Ractus Agro took it down here. Now, this was involved the draft, so that, you know, all of this is taken through that lens, which is the same thing we used to get with Pro Tours. But um, regardless, you know, you've got, this is the Dragon Rage Chandler Ragavan deck up at the top here with uh, three Turox in the main. So we've seen him float in and out, but this is a big, uh, a big father in his cap. Double Dothy Voidwalker here in the main and two in the board, which is also pretty big because, you know, we knew he was modern playable, but we definitely had eyes on him as an EDH card first and foremost, I think. 
Um, so not only are we seeing, you know, the Dragon Rage Ragavan deck here at the top, we've got two particularly interesting cards involved. So I don't, unless you know something I don't, I don't think there was a draft involved in this modern tournament. I think there was, they did two big events, each were 25k. One was a sealed event and the other was modern. Mm-mm. Is that what happened? Because I saw, I, I granted, I did not look closely. I saw comments about people talking about having had practice draft and involving top eights and stuff like that. But maybe that's what it was. And you know what? I'm looking at the names now here in the top eight, and I don't see Shui Nakamura. And I know he was in a top eight photo from Vegas, so I bet that's what it was. It was the two different events. So my mistake. Yeah. So, I mean, still, your point remains on Rakdos Agra. That was a, a deck that Aspiring Spike was uh, testing pretty aggressively leading into Vegas. And in, indeed, he showed up and I think went 4-3 on day one and then dropped. Um, but Turok and Den of the Bugbear are the, the two big flags for me in that deck on top of the cards uh, that already overlap with other archetypes because Turok was largely ignored. Um, when One of several MH2 cards where people looked at it and went, meh. Mm, there's nothing really nothing really to be done with that and put it off to the side. But the reality is anything with pro-white right now is extra special because everybody is casting Prismatic Ending, sometimes Path to Exile, often Solitude. Teferi Time Raveler is usually looking to bounce things uh, as a white source. And so things that can't be dealt with that way are definitely carrying a premium. You know, I'm noticing, I, I'm, I'm assuming here that part of the value from Turok and the singles for Croxa is that they give you a casting cost other than two because this is a Lurus deck. So playing Turok and Croxa mean you get to play like four drops in your deck um, that don't aren't actually four drops. So they, you can get them in under the Lurus, but you can still play them on four to do something different. So I would imagine that's a, a part of the appeal here. Yeah, there's some nice synergy with with Luris there. I mean, this deck could probably still exist without Luris in in the sideboard, but it, yeah, always a bonus to be able to run one of the companions in modern right now. And then yeah, I guess my my thing is if you drop if if they were to get rid of the companions, the Turok may Turok and or Croxa may or may not make the cut because now that you aren't constrained to staying under two two and under, they might opt for something else. They like might, a three but the, drop or the a four curve drop. in this whole deck is very low. I mean, the most expensive thing in the deck is Turok kicked, and then below that, Coligan's Command, and everything else is either a one or a two. Yeah, um, well, with Alluris, you don't have a lot of options. Well, and the whole format, as you said, looks very similar. Um, yeah. So anyway, this deck's doing very well, and uh, both of those two aforementioned cards, Turok and Den of the Bugbear, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about a little bit further down. Uh, Indomitable Creativity Combo uh has showed up in top eight after top eight um not always back-to-back weeks but has been a presence throughout the late summer and fall and here we have it finishing second in vegas uh foil indomitable creativities are basically sold out on tcg player there's a single copy listed at 45 dollars and none else to be had and that's a single printing card so if you want foils of that your uh, time is running real short i think i spied some 20 to 30 dollar copies on ebay well, even that's not inexpensive, is it? I mean, when this deck looked like it was a meme that was going to last a week, it wasn't super appealing. But it seems to be pretty resilient. It looks like it's it's capable of running with the big boys and girls here in these big, big tournaments. So uh, might be worth another look. 
We got Infect popping out of the woodwork for a third place finish here. Um, that slot in the metagame has largely been uh, taken on by Hammer Time, but maybe the, you know, you always have this potential in one of these big tournaments for somebody who's an expert with their pet deck to run the gauntlet, especially if it's an aggro deck that people aren't prepared for, and just plow through the field, and apparently that's what this Infect player did. Yeah, this that's uh, that's definitely something you wouldn't expect to see, and I'm not seeing any particularly exciting new tech here. You know, you've got, I mean, they put a Noble Hierarch in alongside Noble Hierarch, which makes sense. The Phyrexian Crusader, I guess, is a nod to the proliferation of um, the Path Replacement, whose name I fail to remember. Solitude, yeah. yeah, same, same every as single time. Every single time I try and remember that card name, I fail. Um, but yeah, nothing too wild here other than that. I guess the Phyrexian Crusader being the big difference. New ju- Well, they've also got four Endurance in the sideboard and four uh, and three Gem Razor. So they've got some some upgrades from uh, both Ikoria and uh, MH2. Yeah, I wonder how, uh, how relevant, like, how critical those were to the success. Uh, well, I mean, they put they gave Endurance four slots and Gem Razor three in the sideboard, so mm. you would think it's important. A deck like Infact doesn't... They don't usually have, like... You look at a control deck and they can run 15 one-ofs in their sideboard, but a deck like Infact, these really aggressive <laughs> decks don't have the flexibility, so they tend to focus more on what works for a specific purpose and play more of them. Like for the endurances are against the graveyard decks, right? Like that's to take care of living end and so forth, uh, and then the gem raisers is to take care of hammer time problems. Yeah. Uh, New Jund in fourth, four color Omnath in fifth, two versions of uh, or two uh, amulet titan lists in sixth and seventh, and then hardened scales showing up. In fact, in hardened scales, we're like hold my beer and then had a little contest. Get back into the meta here. Four Zabaz. Another MH2 card. Uh, three Ozolith. I guess the Ozolith, technically. And then three Ingenious Smith, another card that is definitely on my radar lately, um, showing up in all sorts of lists. As we see, if we go over to the Magic Online Modern Challenge from this weekend, uh, the one on the 20th, we had Blue-White Control in first, Living End in second, Blue-Red Murktide in third and fourth. Four-color Yorion Control in fifth, which is a list, of course, that's been had a bunch of different iterations lately, um, all doing doing pretty well. This one jumped out at me because they're running three Showdown of the Scalds uh, out of Kaldheim and three Brought Back. So when your Saga goes to the yard, along with, say, a Fetchland and, some, and uh, say, a Solitude, um, all of which happen fairly naturally in the course of a turn, you can then cast brought back and all of them pop back into play and get to do their thing all over again. That's a lot of value. <laughs> that that's fun. That's uh, that's fun. That's why people play that card. Yeah. Uh, and then Amulet Titan in sixth and seventh in this event, but they were running, you know, the the hot tech on Magic Online for running the tested decks for Vegas, which were probably locked in a week ago. Uh, four and three copies, respectively, of Cultivator Colossus, the green mythic 
that we talked about as, well, this is pretty good during our set review in EDH, but there's so many big dumb green things. Like, is this really going to make that much of a splash? How much of a spec is this going to be? Well, the spec opportunity gets a lot more interesting if it's going to be a permanent three or a four of an amulet titan. The, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see that coming. Nope, nor I. Uh, I guess it's just the, your other primeval titan. Uh, I am trying to parse this card in this deck. I mean, I guess you could, but if you hit, if you hit two, you're in pretty good shape, right? Like if, if he comes into play and you play a land, and if you manage to get one more into play, you're doing quite well. I mean, that's like a mediocre play pattern EDH, but in a deck like this, that's exactly what you want to be doing. And even if, and after that is just a beat stick, and even if they kill him, you don't care because he put so much, um, so much mana onto the board. It does have interesting. It, it does have upside as a finisher, where if they somehow manage to extirpate your primeval titans or whatever, you've still got game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know how much of that's floating around, but it's possible that's an added element. So that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. And then New Jund again uh, in 8th in that challenge on the 20th of November. That was the Saturday. And on the Sunday, uh, Hammer Time won that one for Esper Sentinel for Ingenious Smith. <laughs> Ingenious Smith popping up all over the place in Modern. Uh, also was spotted in the Mono White deck that Aspiring Spike was testing a couple weeks ago to some success. And uh, I've seen it pop up at a couple other places. Thopter, Foundry combo, and so forth. Anyway, rest of this challenge on the Sunday was Blue-Red Murktide, Blue-Red Murktide, Blue-Red Murktide, Burn, Four-Color Yorion Control, Amulet Titan. This one, no Cultivator Colossus, but they were running two Cartographers Survey. An uncommon out of Vow. Uh, that one lets them go get lands and put them straight into play. Looking at, at, at top seven cards, I think, out of the deck or something like that. Yeah, look at seven, put two onto the battlefield tapped. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I mean, that's... I think the the weakest of the... I thought this is three when it was spoiled, which was interesting at four. It's just like a worse explosive vegetation than all of the other variants we've seen. I mean, is it worse? They get uh, to pick any land. It's not basics. Y- yeah. So they, they can go I'm not saying strictly Valakit, Valakit. Yeah, I'm not saying strictly worse, but like overall it seems worse because you have to find the two lands in the top. I don't know. I, I was underwhelmed by it, but maybe it's it, it does help good that in is, that spe- in, in Amulet Titan specifically. It's a better home than most other places for sure because Amulet Titan's running thirty three land. Yeah, so and and gonna, you care they're, a lot they're about get the basics. Three or four lands there. Yeah, yeah, which is fair, which is fair. I mean, I hadn't really thought too much about it before. I just looked at it in terms of like EDH, and I'm like, eh. But all right, so uh, ad nauseum wrap that up, and again, we say it. We said it every week for months. Modern looks good. I, I'm very yeah. happy to see that, you know, Vegas wasn't any kind of a big upset. Uh, you know, the black-red aggro deck is new-ish, but most of the elements in it are known quantities. Um, and then, you know, pretty much everything here is either something that was an expected participant in the top eight or something that's been on the fringes but is never can never really be fully counted out. I mean, things like Hardened Scales, Infect, Tron, they can show up anywhere anytime 
even even if they're not specific, known to be specifically good in the meta, those decks are have been around long enough, they're tuned well enough, and there are some pilots who have enough experience that they can run the tables if you give them a chance. Yeah, I mean, I would say that seeing, like, in fact, and hardened scales show up just tells me that uh, it doesn't really matter what you're seeing on a weekly basis here. If you've got a deck that you want to play in modern, just just play it because most anything can break through on any particular week. I, I also think it speaks to the, the specific pace of the format. Like the, the decks that showed up here under the radar, in fact, in hardened scales, are, the, are decks that can go aggro fast and get you dead if you stumble and that suggests that there's some that four color mid-range action that's going on might be a little too slow um to defend against an onslaught of burn living end in fact scales you know if those are the kinds of decks that can prey on that that kind of four color yorion four and five color yorion stuff then makes sense that you'd see them emerge here yeah, maybe uh, what I should have said is you can play most anything in modern on a weekly basis so long as it can kill on turn two. <laughs> it's also probably worth pointing out that the four-color Yorion control decks are very expensive in paper. So it's entirely possible that more of them would have showed up in Vegas if more people had the cards. There's probably a lot of people, since most a lot of the cards in that deck came out of Modern Horizons 2, if you didn't go deep on MH2 and you don't happen to have a bunch of spare cash sitting around... You know, mm. you may not be willing to spend three thousand or thirty five hundred dollars on that deck. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Very true. I mean, it's not it's not cheap on Magic Online either, but it's even worse in paper. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've we haven't really talked about this aspect too much because it has felt a little more removed from a lot of our conversations. But sometimes the prices of these decks are barriers um, in these competitive formats. Uh, you know, I remember like stuff like lands and what have you and legacy. It was kind of like, a, well, this is only what percent of the format, but is that because candelabras are a uh, grand a piece? So it's like bare minimum four grand to get into the deck. And that's before you count the other 71 cards. And maybe that's why uh, this the only reason this looks fair is because it's so expensive. Yeah, just double checking this on Goldfish. Yeah, four color Omnath depends on the build, they, and they do vary, obviously, as we've talked about a lot lately. But on Magic Online, you're talking about thirteen hundred ticks or so, and in paper, you're talking about anywhere from twenty two hundred to twenty five hundred, depending on the build. So okay, yeah, yeah, you know, it's expensive all the way around, but almost double in paper. Yeah, that is not uh, that is not cheap. All right, so moving on over to the top paper movers of the week. First thing to discuss, Soren the Mirthless, Thou Showcase uh, Foil, not non-foil. Uh, we were grabbing those in Europe as cheap as 55 or 60 euro during pre-order season. From Star City, I grabbed a copy at 135. Grabbed a couple others from some other vendors closer to 140 or 150. They spiked up pretty hard towards 300 i think it was on friday and then started drifting back down as they were sold and vendors started undercutting each other we had uh gaming company and a couple of others that are in the same boat that did mass crackings that were trying to make sure all of their copies moved and the gaming company copies either sold out close to 200 or they were repurposed potentially for arbitrage to japan i haven't uh examined the data closely enough to know for sure what happened there but i can tell you that cheapest copies currently for foil presumably collector booster foil soren the mirthless 
showcase. This is the Kojima Fang uh, border version. Currently, you can get them on TCG Player about 180 as of tonight. This is uh, November 23rd. Now, at the same time, over in Japan, we're looking at a very different situation where they're basically showing sold out, sold out, sold out pretty much on every Japanese site that I frequent, and that's at least 10, um, where they have divided the value of this card up based on whether it is English or Japanese and whether it is set and draft booster sourced versus collector booster sourced. And we alluded to this earlier on when we first talked about this card on cast that something like this was likely to occur, and indeed it has. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it, we didn't know for sure what the differences would be or if they would exist at all, but I actually opened a bunch of Japanese uh, Crimson Vow last week, both Collector Booster and Set Booster, and was able to put together a photo essay for the Pro Traders that compared the differences, and they do indeed exist. Basically, the if you're looking at two Fang showcase foils of the same card side by side, you're going to notice two things. One, very similar to what happened with the War Planeswalkers Series 1 versus Series 2 with things like Amano Liliana. The foils of the original Japan-printed versions uh, tend to be a much subtler foiling process, where it, whereas the stuff that comes out of the collector boosters, which are made in the U.S., uh, even if they're Japanese, by the way, uh, those ones tend to be more rainbow foil. It's a little thicker foil overall, and the foiling is a little bit more heavy-handed. I also noticed that the fonts are thinner on the uh, set and draft Japanese printed cards. And then there's this um, horizontal border that runs across the middle of the, that frame. And for some reason on the collector booster versions, it looks almost roped. Like it looks like it has striations at an angle that are make it look kind of like a roped effect, whereas on the set and draft sourced versions, it is a much cleaner uh, graphic overall. So we do have pictures of that stuff in the Pro Trader Discord for people to examine. Um, the reason this is relevant is that the price differences, even on English versions of the card, vary greatly in Japan, both at retail and on buy list depending on whether or not they came out of a set and draft booster box or a collector booster box. So even though, but the thing is all the vendors in the U S as was true with series one, series two war walkers aren't recognizing this at all. There's no differentiation being made on TCG player. None of the other vendors seem to be doing anything about it. You will notice some differences in the way things are listed on eBay, but that's to be expected because people get to define the product for themselves in that venue. Uh, but just to compare prices, as I said, $180 for what normally you would expect to be a collector booster sourced foil Kojima Soren on TCG right now. And that same card on Haruyuya is at 60,000 yen. So about 550 US and sold out. The Japanese foil sourced from a collector booster is at 70,000 yen. So a little under $700. And naturally, I managed to pull a Soren, but the wrong one. I pulled the Dracula art that you like. <laughs> so that was that was a, a rough loss. Um, my heart, my heart goes out to you. Yeah, I've had enough wins in this department that I'm I'm more than willing to pass pass this on to others. Some of the a couple of the pro traders actually managed to pull 
foil Kojima Sorens out of their group buy sort of stuff from us. So that was pleasing. Um, and then if we're looking at the draft slash set versions of Soren on Harayuya, the English one they've got at 120,000 yen, so about 1,100 US. And then the Japanese one has risen from, I think it started at 120,000 to now 160,000 sold out. So about 1450 US or something like that. These are uh, these are wild numbers. That's my takeaway here. This, this the, the debate in the in the Pro Trader Discord the whole time has been: Is this Phyrexian Vorinclex where it's going to collapse back to a lower price after peaking at four hundred or so and and slide back down under two, or is this going to be more like uh, Foil Extended Art Jeweled Lotus where? It takes off kind of like fast and hard and then actually holds a, a fairly elevated level in the, you know, six to $800 range for a while. Or is this going to be like a mono where the th- the $1,000 price tag in Japan today, say you were in Japan and that was what you had access to, is still a bargain because it's going to be 4000 in two years. Um, and are you supposed to take the risk of buying $180 to $200 copies on TCG this week? in the hopes that one of the copies you get sent will end up being set or draft sourced as opposed to CB sourced, and you'll be hundreds and hundreds of dollars ahead with upside across the board on the whole portfolio. The the buying random cards on TCG player and hoping it's the right version is... Uh, I don't want to... That, that's... <laughs> That that's for the people who went to Vegas. That's that's my <laughs> takeaway here. That's if if you went to Vegas, that's your type of deal. So here's 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 one of the interesting things, right? I said there's hundred and eighty dollar copies on TCG, even with the like quote unquote crappiest version of Foil Soren. That's the the version that even on Haruyu's buy list is at twenty five thousand yen. So there's thirty or forty bucks arbitrage to be made right now. Minus your shipping fees. Like if you pulled together five or ten copies of Soren and shipped them off through us to our contact in Japan and had them dropped off at Harajuku, you could make money right now. Not not in a month, not in six months, not a maybe in two years. You could make money right now, and it wouldn't be a yeah. tremendous amount, but it'd be a very solid arbitrage, as good as most of the stuff that happens Europe to North America. Like yeah, I mean you could go buy the eight copies of them, and. If all of them are CB copies, which I'd say there's probably a pretty good chance of. Yeah, you probably have like a one in one in ten, two in ten chance of hitting a set slash draft version. One of the things, one of the reasons that's true, or even more true, is that a lot of uh, LGSs did not get their full allocations of set booster boxes yet. There's delays on that part of the product line. Mm. So. Whereas the collector booster boxes landed on time. So the vast majority of Sorens are going to be collector booster boxes on TCG right now. Okay, well, hold on then. So the out here is to just start buying all of them under whatever, $200 or something, and just start now and then just keep going because eventually you're going to run the market out of the CB ones and the set ones are going to land. And there you go. Cracked (laughs) it for you guys. The thing is, we don't know how brilliant or foolish that play might look yet. And we're only going to know in the rear view mirror. Everybody's got an opinion about what's going to happen next. I've been told a million times on social media and Twitter that this card is going to collapse, that it's nonsense, blah, blah, blah. But most of the people that are saying that stuff don't actually track the Japanese market and don't really understand the impact that it has on, on some of these cards. 
So I'm at the point where I think that at minimum, I'm treating this like it is a Jeweled Lotus scenario with a mono potential upside. I will be very surprised to see the gap between Japanese buy list pricing and TCG pricing widen. If I see $150 Sorens this week on TCG, I'm buying them. It's that simple. These are extremely hard to pull. I had multiple people on Twitter arguing with me that these are not hard to pull. They don't know what they're talking about. Talk to anybody who did a mass cracking, and we've talked to several. They are hard to pull. You can. We, we've had reports of hundreds of boxes being opened without finding one. I opened uh, a case of CBs and found one, but it wasn't the right version. It's the one that's just as rare, the Dracula one. Um, it's because this thing has three versions. So it's basically triple as... The Kojima one is triple as rare as it otherwise would have been. And it was already a foil mythic, which is not easy to pull. So you need 444 packs of collector boosters or something, and those are $20 packs a piece. You need like seven to eight grand to find one of these. So... In a scenario where you need to crack that much product to find it, pull a specific card, it's not that crazy that it's going to hold a price tag in the hundreds of dollars. It, it certainly seems undervalued to me under 200 And if I see additional price weakness uh, on TCG, which I think we could easily see. I think a lot of the copies that were bought were bought by pro traders and other speculators and vendors, some of which might be looking to arbitrage to Japan. In a situation like that, if the, if the common market in North America isn't responding to it and the people that were speculating buy a handful or a double handful and then they stop and take a breath because they don't want to overextend themselves, that's where you can see prices fall. And, and, if I, and if I see them fall, I'm going to jump in. I will, uh, I, you know, for the record, I think these are closer to, I don't, I don't think these are monos, but I think that they're better than Vorinclex. Yeah. That's that's where most of us are 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 on. I mean, the the buy list for a Japanese foil collector booster version is at thirty five thousand yen, so over three hundred dollars. And then if you can pull an English draft or set version, even for English, and remember, you and I were debating like, is it only going to be the Japanese version that's worth money? No, it's it's more about draft set versus CB than it is anything else. So, but there is still a big gap. Um, at at each of these tiers, right? Like the set version, they're paying 50,000 yen. The collector booster version, they're paying 25,000. So set versions are worth twice as much in English, according to Haruyuya. And then if you look at English foil draft set versus Japanese foil draft set, it's 90,000 yen versus 50,000. So almost double again for the Japanese set. So you're seeing English foil collector booster at the bottom end of the spectrum being worth a quarter of the Japanese set version with the English draft set somewhere in the middle. Those are very compelling numbers <laughs> to take this card seriously and pay attention to it. Even if you haven't jumped in, even if you don't intend to, watch what happens here because this this will give you clues for the future. Because this won't be, trust me, this is a trick they've now learned and they will not unlearn. Mm. Well, like, that, it, like we, we've yeah. got Japanese war walkers now. We got Japanese Mystical Archives. Matt, still, the time warp set of that are still $1,000 in the same situation. The set the set version of Jap, Japanese foil time warp, alt art, $1,000 card. We've got the uh, 
the Godzilla, Mothra, and and Ghidorah, etc., that were big money in Japan and still are. And this now, like the Wizards knows knows their game. <laughs> They're going to keep serving up Japanese specific cards. I will. So they're de- they are going to keep doing that. I will withdraw my complaints about the various aspects here. If they print the, I should say in the various aspects, I'll withdraw my complaints about all of this product fragmentation. Uh, if instead of printing Japanese cards, every product line, they introduce like Klingon or the alien language from Futurama. Like if you put those languages in as like your alt language magic card, I can get more on board. You're much more likely to see that in a secret layer at some point. And they, they may well give you what you want. Yeah. I don't know how many years away we are from a Star Trek secret layer, but it feels like it's. <laughs> it's viable, right? Like it's not completely unheard of at this point. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, here here's the thing. Um, the one thing I would like them to change is if there's going to be differences in product, like in card card stock, you kind of want your collector booster version to be worth more than your set booster version. Yeah. Like if you're selling people well, two hundred dollar plus versions, you really want that to be where the fanciest thing can come out of. Is that true? All right. Can, without getting into a 15-minute d- diversion here, is that true? Because I do wonder if they're, like, you can be like, the essentially, if you put all of the absolute best cards possible in the collector's boosters, it makes it way, there's no reason for a lot of people to buy set boosters. But if the collector boosters have 98%, 95% of all the best versions of the cards, but there's still some really awesome chase cards that are only in the set boosters, now you know you kind of sell more of both products type of thing. I understand I, I understand the point you're making, and I think it's worth worth pondering. But I think that in the end it, it boils down to you want the upside, the max upside that acts as the baited hook for any particular product to be in a specific ratio to its cost and having the most outsized return related to the $120 box instead of the $240 box is probably, it's got to be incorrect. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I do wonder, you know, it's the type of thing where I wonder if like the trade off of reducing the, that value the EV for the for wizards on their most expensive product is worth it if it means they get to sell way more of this other product. I don't know. I, I think these are but, I mean the conversations presumably wizards is having. Well that's just it. I don't presumably. think they, I don't think they are. Like I think they're aware there's a difference, <laughs> but I don't think this is intentional at all. Um, this is like the Texas factory literally uses different production processes than the Japanese factory. The Jap- Japanese printed cards and Pokemon and other hobbies are just known to be better. They just have a higher standard in on the shop floor, and that's what's playing out here. It's definitely not not on purpose. Like I don't think they have assigned the products to the factories to achieve that result. I think it's a byproduct of poor management at the Texas facility of Cardamonte. Well, uh, so, I mean, if we're talking specifically about the card stock differences, then yes, I would agree that that's probably not intentional. But at the same time... They might be aware of how that gets of how the secondary market handles this, and maybe there are other decisions being made because of that. I I don't know. 
right. So I'm anyway, not that was that was Soren the Mirthless, first card on the top paper movers. We only spent about twenty minutes on it. Kind of try to buzz Good. on through here. The Swamp, the non-foil version from <clears throat> Secret Layer, Crushing Brutality of Basic Lands, a Secret Layer I was. Uh, Hyped on and told people to buy, um, looking like a good win. Uh, this swamp has had gotten up to about twenty four dollars, and now it's almost entirely hollowed out. It's up to about mid thirties, and there's basically heart, very very few left on TCG. Forty two percent gains there. That's just the uh, it's the same sleeve that I use on Arena actually, because I in buying that had access to the Arena code for the sleeves. Uh, Cruel Celebrant out of War of the Spark is the Foil Vampire that I run in my Arena Grinder deck that uh, drains one from the opponent when one of your creatures dies. And it's a vampire, and there's lots of vampire stuff going on in EDH right now, so it, the foils went from $8 to $12.50. got War Bulk sitting around. You might have some of these sitting around in there that you need to pull. War, War Bulk? War of the Spark. That's where this is from. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, I have a lot of war bulk. A lot, a lot of people that went looking for a monos ended up with war bulk, and they may well have a Japanese foil cruel celebrant they could flip for fifteen to twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah, cruel cell wasn't this? Uh, it's an uncommon. Was, yeah, I'm just thinking. No, this is not the reprint. I'm thinking of um, there's another celebrant who has cool art that's in my head. Uh, Blood celebrant. That was a cool looking card. Neither here nor there. Thing in the Ice Out of Shadows over Innerstrad foils, 15 to 25. Uh, a card we talked about a lot back, basically before COVID hit, when Modern was still, you know, seen playing Papermore and Pioneer was showing up. Um, definitely had its its day in the sun a while ago, and it's peeking its head back out here a little bit uh, with these uh, with this price here. And I know we talked about it in top eight events semi-recently. But by now, we haven't seen much. There, I mean, there's not really been any additional supply on this, right? Like, it was just the Shadows Over Innistrad is the only printing. So, you know, copies get chipped away. We're finally, it looks like, at the tail end of what's out there. I would guess this might be mostly Pioneer demand. The You know, I don't think Pioneer is a major format. I actually ran a survey on Twitter today where I asked people whether their local LGS was running Pioneer events. And it looked like three to one people were saying no. Um, but that still means that there's probably hundreds to single digit thousands of people playing Pioneer, uh, and Thing in the Ice is a pretty good card in that format. It's also been toyed around with in Modern lately. People have been messing with it with Dress Down. I have a Dress Down deck built that I'm looking to run at FNM at some point soon, um, that runs for Thing in the Ice. So there's, there's certainly, there's probably a mild current of demand on both, and then the fact that it's caught no reprint whatsoever since it was printed five years ago means that uh yeah there's like six listings of foils left one at 15 bucks and then everything else is at mid 20s to mid 30s on tcg okay um chalice of the voids odd and mercadian mass uh no sorry modern masters <laughs> i see modern masters that's mma uh uh chalice of the void 80 to 140 for, for the foils and Chalice of the Void is, uh, that's like tier, or um, like the second most played, third most played card in the format or something like that right now, right? In Modern? For Modern, it's definitely uh, top 10. Or am I thinking of Engineered Explosives? Uh, let me just see what, what the latest stats on Goldfish say. Um, Chalice of the Void, not top 10 anymore, but it... Engineered Explosives is number three. I knew it was one of these, Engineered Explosives. Yeah, I guess... But, so... Chalice is number 15. <sighs> 
22 percent okay. so way of down 2. 15 <laughs> um but even still uh that's quite a hefty price tag for a card with several premium versions now at this point um and we just got the times pro remastered one too it looks like the retro frames out of tspr are 200 the judges are 175 the m25 foils are 80 the magic 25 that might be the route to go 250 for the inventions so i would might want to take a look at masters 25 copies honestly if the mma copies are up to 140 yeah could be a play there I mean, yeah, it looks like you can get $100 copies from uh, M25, Masters 25, and there are 10 vendors with, what, 17 copies, maybe? Best on-ramps ramps on this one, naturally, were 6 to 12 months ago when nobody was playing Modern, and since this is definitely not an EDH card. But, uh, yeah, there's, there might be a little meat left on the bone. This next one's interesting. We were talking about this a lot in the Discord today. Wedding Ring was a card that you and I debated as to how much EDH play it would see. I flagged it as a kind of group hug slash political card where you could kind of pick an ally and both benefit as you eliminate your other opponents and then take care of each other. You were a little more dubious on it. I kind of give it a mid, mid-range mid rank overall and was waiting to see how results looked on EDH Rec. So far, it's doing pretty well. I think it was like 700-plus decks and 7% of white decks or something since announcement. But the story here is that this card is not actually in the set. It's also not in the commander decks. You can only pull Wedding Ring, and there's actually eight cards in this situation. Six rares and two mythics. This is one of the mythics. Um, you can only find them in the wild card slot in set boosters and the extended art slot in collector boosters. So there are regular <laughs> copies available in set boosters. And keep in mind, as I said earlier, a lot of the set boosters have not yet landed for Crimson Vow in North America. And then the extended arts can be found in the collector booster EA slot. So since it's not in the set proper and it's not in the commander decks, there's a significantly less of these lying around right now, at least until that set inventory catches up. And the question I have is whether by the time Wizards gets that stuff into the pipeline, whether people are even going to care. Because once we get into middle of December through to middle of January, you've got that pre-tax season, post-holiday blues era, which I generally consider to be the biggest dead zone in Magic where everybody has overspent for the holidays and and or they are focused on Christmas or winter vacations or they're trying to get ready for getting their taxes together and waiting on their tax check to spend any money. And then we run headfirst into there's Commander Collection Black coming up and then uh, there's secret layers that will certainly drop along the way here and then uh, Kamigawa uh, early in the winter. So I'm wondering whether late set booster boxes for Vow means there won't be that many of them opened. And hmm. and Wedding Ring has charged accordingly. Like the it went from twelve on Saturday, I think either Friday night or Saturday morning on TCG to up to being up to thirty dollars now on TCG. Uh, and extended art copies have four listings, total of nine copies. This is opening week, people. This is for the stuff that came out of collector booster boxes. There are nine copies left on TCG, priced thirty to forty dollars. Huh. That's uh, 
It seems rather high at the moment, right? It feels like a combination of targeted based on this knowledge about the limited uh, access to the card and that holding hands neatly with the lack of set booster supply in the marketplace. I if you if all that set booster supply landed tomorrow, I don't think I would be confident that it could hold this price. But there were opportunities to buy this today in Europe and in Japan around five dollars, five to ten dollars, which looked relatively compelling. And I managed to find a vendor in Japan that had twenty-four copies at seventy-eight cents U.S. a piece. <laughs> and what what did you say these are worth right now? Uh, extended arts on TCG are at about. 30 and the other one is at uh 16 or 17 for regular copies and you paid 70 80 cents for your extended art ones no for regulars oh right and, and they're ones. japanese okay. mind you so i i put a like 10 times discount ah. on them and still came out looking and said yeah i still have to just pull the trigger on these like yeah i would that's... imagine i'll end up selling one a month at 10 bucks for the rest of for the next 16 months and make it just fine and if they if i'm wrong and the card is a big deal then i'm gonna make it like a bandit on those yeah yeah there's not uh even if you're for that price difference it doesn't really matter how off you end up being well and i found i found a whole pile of cards in japan that are still too cheap a lot of that double master stuff that's edh specific has been underpriced over there because if you look at things like borderless avacyn borderless doubling season uh Foil Extended Art, Fiery Emancipation, all these kind of easy-to-remember-what-they-do cards uh, that are super staples in EDH that Japan doesn't care about at all. Always underpriced over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Wedding Ring. Wedding Keep ring, an eye I'm, on it. Yeah, Wedding Ring is interesting. I, I really wonder if that's going to end up having some remarkable gains down the road just because people buy them and give them to their spouse or their desired spouse and you know can cope with paying $300 for this card because they essentially use it in place of a actual wedding ring I can't tell yet how much of this early action is supply side versus meme versus you and I underestimated the demand for this card in, in Commander Hmm. Hmm. So uh, hard to watch. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Chancellor of the Forge foils out a new Phyrexia. This is the one that makes goblins if it's in your hand at the start of the game. Seven to eighteen. Uh she's played as a four of in the Glimpse of Tomorrow modern deck that we talked about last week that tries to flip extra permanence into play and double up on it with Goblin Dark Dwellers. Um, not really a high volume of play for Chancellor of the Forge, but just by virtue of showing up in a cool new modern deck and being, again, a single print foil from, at this point, quite a few years ago. Frenetic Afrit from Mirage going through another coin flip trauma event. $14 to 40 on the back of the Secret Layer uh, first ever EDH deck being announced. And in this case, a Gavin Verhe bespoke coin flip deck. Uh, that did not that included a whole bunch of relevant reprints, but not Frenetic Afrit. Uh, so uh, that one took off. Then we have Mishra Artificer Prodigy foils at a time spiral. Not really a big deal card even in EDH, but single printing foil going from 14 to 40 plus, probably on the back of people trying to 
identify specs related to Brothers War coming uh, later in 2022. Pride of the Clouds foils at a dissension, uh, 10 to 40, probably on the back of uh, Inyaz and uh, some other Flyers Matter stuff in EDH, and also just the fact that it's an old foil now. Drogskull Reaver out of uh, Dark Ascension, non-foils going from 5 to somewhere between 15 and 20, uh, 300% plus gains uh, on the back of EDH Spirit's interest, I would imagine. And then Rogue Class AFR ampersand promo in standing in this week for a whole bunch of ampersand promos that are on the move, getting mopped up week after week. This one apparently going from 45 to 250 on TCG Player. There are still ampersand promos in Europe that are too cheap, let me tell you. Uh, well worth a look <laughs> if you have any interest in getting a part of that action because that's where you're going to find your best deals. Yeah, I mean, that's not cheap buy-ins, but if you've got a good reserves of uh, funds available and you're looking for a long time, a little longer-term hold or maybe even not a longer-term hold, seems like you could probably do worse than that, um, and it's a lot cheaper than power. The beauty of this is that when something pumps to five times your available on-ramp, you grab it at 50 or 60 bucks in Europe, get one or two copies... Maybe you get a handful, one of each. You throw them up on TCG, eBay, Amazon, whatever, Facebook. You put your price well below what TCG says it is, and the first person that's looking to bite is going to bite. Mm-hmm. And it might mm-hmm. might take you a week, might take you a year to unload that card, but you're going to make good money on it. Yeah, it'll work out when it gets there. It almost uh, seems like you get that... Um... That NFT game played where you, you know, you list list an ampersand copy for four hundred dollars on TCG Player, sell it to yourself, and only pay the the cut to TCG Player, which caps at fifty dollars, actually, if I recall correctly, and then list it again at four hundred and fifty, and then someone goes to buy it and goes, oh, the last copy was four hundred, <laughs> and now it's only four twenty. I'll buy this one. And there are certainly people that try to play those games. Yeah. Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> All right. So, top Magic Online movers of the week. Turok, Dread Cantor, of course, just took down Vegas, so no big surprise. Uh, that card went from 270 to 5.22 ticks on Magic Online, almost 100% gains. Amulet of Vigor, of course, Amulet Titan was back in the spotlight, had a big, big weekend where it top aided everything in both paper and uh, Magic Online. Uh, going from 1.83 ticks to 3.6, so another 100% gainer. And then Cultivator Colossus at a vow, early big winner, going from 7.78 ticks, and it was probably even lower before uh, before that, that price tag clicked in, uh, up to 29 tickets, 270% gains on the back of that modern Amulet Titan usage. That's, uh, that's a nice little boost there. Yep, yep. I I the Turok becoming a bigger card in modern is going to throw me off because now I'm going to hear it more and literally every time we say it I hear Turok Dinosaur Hunter like every <laughs> single time in my head I just hear Turok Dinosaur Hunter big gamer alright so cards to watch my uh, first selection this week is Den of the Bugbear the dungeon module foil not only are, is that a handsome-looking card, especially for those that have any nostalgia over D&D, um, but this thing is showing up all over the place in Standard, Pioneer, and Modern uh, in way more places than you would imagine. 
it's basically a like a low key goblin rabble master built into a land, which is not the worst thing you can be running when you're trying to get some extra damage in. Uh, those creature lands are often not vulnerable to sorcery speed removal. So in a format that has leaned into prismatic ending instead of path to exile, there is that benefit as long as they don't have a Teferi time raveler on the table. And it's down to 47 listings for the showcase foils. Starts at about eight bucks. Most of the co- the lowest price copies are between eight and ten. And I'm calling this to go ten to twenty-five inside a year. Uh, I mean, the, it's certainly putting up numbers, right? Keeps doing well. Clearly going to be a staple of these red decks for some time to come. Uh, looks good from here. The fact that you get to play three or four at a time is so good as well. Um, I just want to look. That's uh, I have to, I'm looking at the art now. That's the... Uh, oh, yeah. This is the Monster Manual cover. Yep. Or the module cover. Those are pretty nifty looking. They're distinct. They're at the very least very distinct. And the thing is that, it's a shame that in Goblin decks and EDH, these are probably underrepresented so far. Like we don't have a very popular Goblin commander right this second. Uh, Muxus, I guess, out of uh, Jumpstart was probably the last big one. But eventually they'll, they'll cough up another one. I mean, Dominaria, there's a very decent chance. And uh, Den of the Bugbear goes in every Goblin deck ever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little medium in EDH, but the thing is, if you're a Goblin deck, it's basically a free include. It's a free roll, yeah. I mean, you have so many slots yeah. in a monocolored deck. Yeah. To not have a mountain yeah. on the table that does nothing. Even, even in a red-black deck, like it, a two-color deck, it's not really a big deal. Um, yeah, those are cool. I think for the, for the couple dollars, I think those are a good choice because... Uh, even people who play goblins at casual tables may be drawn to those down the road. Also, what is a bugbear? So a bugbear is is like a bigger goblin in D&D. Mm. So that they're kind of like goblin lieutenants. They, they're kind of a, a variation on the breed that tends to dominate the smaller goblins. I see. Mm-hmm. I, it's a, I hear bugbear and I'm thinking like, is this a bear with like caterpillar hat no, or like no. a beetle hat you think like, about like bugbear is like some old-timey term for like a, a monster and i think that the guys behind D in the 70s like had probably heard that from their grandparents or something and and yeah and used it that sounds plausible yeah at this point yeah anyway these are these are good looking foil showcase cards it's a the the afr creature lands have snuck into modern like Hall of the Storm Giants or whatever is also pretty present. So both of them are worth a look. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm going to start this week with Fallen Shinobi, which is the Modern Horizons 1 ninja. Um, he's the 5 mana 5, 4, black and blue. When he deals damage to a player, they exile the top two cards, and you can cast them for free. So if he hits, you get to cast spells from your opponent for free. Very good. Uh, I'm looking at the Crimson Vow and uh, Midnight Hunt, and they clearly have pulled, uh, you know, Edgar Markov jumped to the top of the leaderboards again in EDH Commander. So people are still going to be drawn to tribal decks over and over again. 
And I like trying to get ahead of the curve on them a little bit for our next set, which will be Kamigawa, rather than waiting until the spoilers have started. Just putting some of these aside so that as soon as all the numbers, you know, as soon as the spoilers start and numbers are popping off, you can be right there and getting all the getting's good. Uh, Modern Shinobi in particular is going to be in every single ninja deck that shows up. Uh, we see a foil copy move roughly one a day. Uh, if you look at the price history, the non-foils have started to creep up a little bit, but the foils haven't, the non-foils actually in the last three months have just about doubled, but the foils haven't moved that much, like maybe 10 to 20%. So they seem poised to have more of a, a move here in the future, just based on looking at the, what the non-foils have done. We're looking, we're down to 18 vendors on foil copies here and at the moment i do not see more than a single copy out of any particular vendor so 18 vendors is 18 foil copies on tcg player right now so this is modern horizons one fallen shinobi real low supply online even if some of these have been already been bought up ahead of coming out which i'm sure a couple people have bitten off a couple bits or maybe pull their inventory. I don't think that's a huge deal. I think they're going to give us at least a good ninja or two commander. And uh, you're going to be able to get out on these on probably 20-ish bucks each. Well, here's the thing about this card. This also happens to be a blue-black uh, zombie. It's not just a ninja. And everyone's building Wilhelm right now. I just built, built Wilhelm. I didn't realize this card existed. Like, I knew it existed, but didn't realize it was a zombie. So now I'm going to go pull a copy out of my collection and put it into that deck. I'm going to level with you. I forgot he's a zombie. I looked at it and didn't even notice. Because it works just the same there. I mean, the zombie deck is often looking for ways to leverage having a bunch of tutus that nobody cares about. And getting a couple of like sneaky ninjutsu triggers in is a pretty good way to go about it. Um, hit for five instead of two against somebody and then get to play some extra cards. That seems fine. So given that we have back-to-back -back sets that care about blue-black zombies, and then we're going to Kamigawa, this is like a solid half-year period where people could ostensibly have a reason to want this card. And I could easily seeing, see Fallen Shinobi getting a reprint in the commander deck that goes along with Kamigawa, but it won't be the foil. Uh, yeah, it were, yes, I, I fully, this is definitely a card that the non-foil will probably show up against someplace, but the foils are going to be hard. We Again, I mean, this is going to be true of everything. It's been true of everything we've talked about for the last two years. Secret layers are a possibility. It could be like one of the lower tier cards in some secret layer that has like Higure and well, stuff like that. And, but. and now it could they could release a bespoke ninja deck through secret layer <laughs> that does, yeah, that does include mean, 50 foils. So the, even that safety... Uh, reprint safety is now uh, gaining a pressure valve. Yeah, so like everything else, this is all, you know, there's always that. There's some risk. Risk, but uh, other than that, I think it's it's tasty looking. I like the fact that it dodged any MH2 interference. And so these foils have just drained, you know, have already started the drain from zombie influence, and then they're going to get additional ninja pressure. I think if you want these for yourself, you definitely grab these right now at 10. I don't, I don't hate grabbing a handful uh, at whatever price you can find them on. I, I'm willing to bet in Japan and Europe we can get these between 5 and 10 instead of 10 to 12. So I would look there as well if you have, those, if you have that access. Well, I'm poking around Japan, and I'm not finding really any. 
Alrighty. So, so if you maybe you have a better line than I do, but I'll go go back to that like site that had the punch. seventy-eight cent wedding rings and see what I find. Yeah, that seems like a wise idea. Um, all right, so moving right along here, I've got cards that showed up in Vegas and on Magic Online this weekend that did work and have been doing work and are definitely worth a look. First of those is Turok Dread Cantor. Foil Borderless is $5. Come on now. Just want a, want a 1,400 person event. It's a mythic. It's from MH2. <laughs> you can convince me that this is a 10 to $15 card because it's only in a single shell. You can even convince me that this deck will fall off the radar at some point. But it still shouldn't be $6 for foil borderless copies. I'm not ready yet to go super deep on it, but I would certainly grab a handful at that price. First of all, uh, first of all, the borderless it... art's nice. Secondly, it's a four of in the deck. Three or a four of. Yeah, that's a pretty cool borderless card. It's got a real, uh, uh, like semi-campy horror movie vibe to it there's even a wolf howling in the background because in honor of one of the arts for him the turok i notice his cloak is made of eyeballs too or like has eyeballs on it it's interesting it's it's got a a fun campy artwork is he wearing like underwear as well this dude is uh ripe for cosplay here by the way uh 35 vendors yeah i mean the the supply is you know is medium but Six bucks, I agree, for the extended art foils is is a good luck. Uh, and I feel, have we talked about the extended art foils at some point? That sounds familiar. Well, these, these the borderless of this? No, not that I know of. This this card? No, 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 the, the retro foils. Because Turok has both borderless and retro. Uh, I haven't talked about it because I don't think this card mattered until three weeks ago. Yeah, well, I, I've looked at it before, but I couldn't remember in what context. The retro foils are about nine, it looks like. 42 vendors, again, no real deep supply. But honestly, the extended arts are probably better at a couple bucks cheaper. And also, we've seen the retro frames be a little slower than expected. So the extended arts are, are likely a better choice. I would get the retro for myself, but the extended arts are probably the better spec pick. I, I could be convinced to go either way on these, but I, I the borderless art is good enough that I like I like them at six bucks for sure. Um, if they were fifteen already, I'd be less excited. But six, they, they got to go six to fifteen here if this deck keeps performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and likewise, indomitable creativity. This is an arbitrage play. You can still get foils of this this card under twenty five dollars in Europe, and there's some others poking around, probably sitting around your LGS in a binder or whatever. Um, this is not a card that mattered until recently. So it did really well in vet in modern second at Vegas, multiple top eights, like lately online, it's a single printing basically sold out in North America. So if you want them for yourself, definitely snap them off. And if you've got access to Europe, you might be able to pick them up over there at say 24 and arbitrage them in the 45 to 60 range, especially if you can pull together a playset. This is one of those plays where I don't want to be super deep, but if I have one nice near mint playset that I can put up at eBay all at the same time and say pick it up for $80 or $85 and then flip it for $160 within three months, you're doing very well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you've got arbitrage opportunities, you know, you can't really complain about that. It's uh, it's an easy way to go about things here. So if you have the out, go for it. All right, you want to talk about Pack Rat, huh? I, 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 which one are we talking about here? Secret Lair? Mm. Yeah, I. 
like we can argue about this. I don't, I don't even know if argue is the right term. We can debate this. First of all, did you know Year of the Rat is like $130? Yeah. It's one of, one of those secret yeah. layers that was under under ordered. We've definitely talked about that. And like I kind of forgot about that until I was looking this up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that there's a, a pretty big boost there if you buy the seal. Like, I think the sealed is worth more than the singles. But pack rat specifically it only has the return the ravnica printing and the secret layer printing and the return the ravnica printing is absolutely miserable like it's artwork may may as well not even exist uh if you're gonna play if rats are probably gonna show up in some capacity in kamigawa i don't see why they wouldn't they were i believe the preeminent tribe in black through all kamigawa block along with like spirits it was like rats and demons and spirits but spirits weren't everything um it'll show up in virtually every rat edh doc that gets built and the the numbers here look pretty decent you've got 23 vendors on pack rat there are there are started about 15 dollars, so the price is kind of high but you know, 23 vendors and and probably I'm going to say 30-ish, 35 copies total. And we're a ways away from Kamigawa hitting. I'm guessing when people, if people went and bought rats ahead of Kamigawa's, you know, on, on Kamigawa's announcement, if people went and bought rats. They, I don't think they were landing on this. I, they were probably looking at like Ink Eyes and Marinar. Um, this seems like it might have been like a step below that. But given how that this had to have been a fairly undersold secret layer just based on the prices already. Uh, and we're headed into a period where people are going to be more interested in picking up rats. You know, you've got a pretty low inventory on these, all things considered. And if you're getting them at 14 or 15, I could see this is at 25 to $35 a copy when they put the good rat commander in. I agree that I think we're getting rats in Kamigawa. I agree that pack a fancy pack rat is probably relatively safe. This came out two years ago, so it's not immune from t- catching a reprint in a in a related product. Uh, you know, if they give us a really cool rat ninja commander, then people will be looking for cool cards to include, and that list is relatively short, so this will be well positioned. Um, all of this stuff from this this release, Ink Eyes, Maronar, Pack Rat, and Rat Colony, all stands to benefit if they lean in on the rats for Kamigawa. We're not, we don't have any direct indication that that's going to happen, so we don't know for a fact it will. If it doesn't hit, then you're you're just riding a longer term trend line. Um, if it does hit, you're probably in in business. One thing that jumps out at me here. Mar- I had mentioned to people a little while back that one of the ampersand promos I, I snagged in Europe that I was focusing on was the rogue class. Uh, and people said, because I said, you know, like rogue ninjas in rogue slash ninjas in Kamigawa. And people said, well, ninjas, yeah, but rogues? They seem to forget Maronar, one of the other cards in, in this uh, release, is a rat rogue, not a rat ninja. So... More rats and rogues and ninjas all seem to be potential events in the near future here. Yeah, the, the, I mean, really, uh, most of the cards from this product line could probably, from the rat secret layer, could probably be talked about. They also had the uh, 
Ooh, the one rat colony, the other one where you can play any number of them, seems like it could have some value there as well, uh, depending on how pe- deep people want to go. Presumably because this product is going to bring people a bunch of new rats, they might not be quite as inclined to play a rat colony deck because you don't have to go digging for more rats quite as, as hard um, as you have in the past. In, in any case, I don't know. I, I, I could, I could see you not loving this. Um, but I, it is a type of card that I'm not personally attracted to it. I'm not interested in it, but the price is already pretty ripe and the supply is not that deep. And I don't think people have already gone after it after the Kamigawa announcement. So I, all those together, I'm, I, I'd be in for a couple copies here. I think it doesn't have a tremendous amount of EDH play because we don't have that rat commander yeah. it doesn't have a, a job class subtype that's relevant um although i do wonder C- if the correct. uh the people that are running changeling decks are supposed to be running pack rat the that, that seems like a, a one card way to win the game in some instances the bottom line on this i think no. i would hold my trigger finger until i saw some early indications about kamigawa which i would imagine we will get giving the pace of releases from Wizards somewhere in the next couple of weeks. Um, sure. And if they sure. and if they show off a rat legend that looks sexy, you definitely want to have, you know, these bookmarked and ready to go. Okay. Well, you know, I had, by the time I got home, I think I had like eight minutes to look at cards to, to, for research for this cast this week. So if you don't like it, that's my excuse. That, that's, that's what everybody wants to hear that you're spending eight minutes on your picks. Well, I mean, I'd be slightly facetious, but I'm not able to give it quite as much time this week as I have in the past. Fair enough. So Ingenious Smith is my final selection. It's only an uncommon from AFR, the much maligned and probably wrongly so uh, set from the summer. Foils of this can be had for two bucks, but we're down to 29 listings. And I think these are going to be two to eight or two to 10 or two to 12 sometime in the next year. It's a four of in hammer time. It shows up in affinity. It's in the mono white deck. It's in Thopter combo. It's not very, see, it doesn't see much play in EDH, but probably should see more. Um, I just, there haven't been any artifact uh, uh, focused commanders as of late that would draw people towards it. But this is a one, one for two human artificer. Those are both relevant. And when it enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. You can reveal an artifact and put it in your hand. And then whenever any other artifact comes into play, you get a plus one, plus one counter on this thing. So if you're putting a bunch of artifacts in play, this can be a solid beater that's value town for two mana, and it let you impulse for an artifact. Very solid card. And didn't have it, it wasn't on my radar for modern, but it's made its way in there, and not just in one archetype, in a bunch. And really all you would need is hammer time for the, the fo- value of these foils to shift, but there's more than hammer time going on that's using the card. So I think... Given that we're already down to 29 listings on an uncommon foil from four months ago, might as well grab some. Yeah, I mean, it's a great uh, it's a great value uncommon, essentially, to just grab bunches of, especially if you can find them in bulk while you're looking for other cards. Um, you know, you're not going to, you know, Ingenious Smith is not going to be a $30 foil, but that's fine if you're getting them for two-ish dollars a piece because you, you can be pretty sure you're at least going to double up, if not triple or quadruple up a little bit down the road and that modern play is a nice little boost and the worst case scenario is you just kind of hang out and you let the edh demand get you there and i mean really it will get you there because anyone who's going to play 
uh, play an equipment deck is very likely going to be putting this into it. It's hard to imagine an equipment deck getting built without this just as a great two drop. Um, so yeah, I think this is a, a pretty good choice. E- easy to pick up while you're doing other stuff. Also the kind of thing where if you see cheap copies of this thing like lying around in the bulk bin or whatever at your LGS for a quarter, pull those on out because they're going to they already buy list for 52 cents uh, at Card Kingdom for non-foils and 90 cents for foils and I would imagine those those numbers are going to rise given some time. Yeah, this could definitely be a, a $253 buy list card yep. down the road. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so topic of the week, we got <laughs> I think it was like two or three weeks ago we did we did the uh, review of the October Secret Layer Super Drop, and Wizards, you know, when you're making twenty million a drop, you just cram as many as you can. So yeah, it does not what, feel like it's been that long. That's what they're doing. So we have a brand new Secret Layer release. In fact, we have two of them. We have the Secret Versary 2021. So this is basically. The mega drop for uh, towards the end of the year. Presumably, this will be the last one of the year, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> they still got a whole month and a half to go. Hard to say. But the given that this drop finishes, let's see, in this goes on for the rest of the for like better part of five more days on the 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 arcane stuff. So. Yeah, they might squeeze one in, they might not. Bottom line, they did a crossover here with League of Legends. There's a cartoon on Netflix that is very well regarded called Arcane, which makes use of some of the characters from that game. League, being one of the biggest games of the last 10 years, um, has a huge audience. Um, I'm not actually thrilled with the execution here, however. I've already put together my analysis for the pro traders in our Best Ideas uh, channel of the Discord, And what I said about the Arcane drop was, you're not really buying this because of League of Legends. I don't expect it to catch much shine from that at all. Um, Because the the imagery being used is not core enough to the aesthetic and beloved characters of the League players, so much as it is direct homage to the brand new Netflix series, which is well-regarded, but I don't think it has... You need some space and time for people to develop nostalgia and and be seeking out products related to something that they like. And so I think this is mostly about the cards that have been included. And in the case of this uh, Secret Layer Times Arcane edition, you get regulars and foils, $29.99 or $39.99. And the big deal here is that they're giving us a foil Ristic study. Last version of that we saw was a judge foil that made me a bunch of money buying them in Europe. And the problem with Ristic study has, for a while now, has been that the rest of the versions all use Therese Nielsen turf art. So this lets you have a fancy Ristic study that's not the judge foil, that's not $100, and that makes this more or less a slam dunk. You also get a foil path to exile that I regard as very medium, a counterflux that doesn't matter much, and then a three-end dynamo that may well end up being worth a little money. Um, I think you hang your hat for this particular drop more or less on the Ristic Study. You also get a couple more cards that they didn't show pictures of, they didn't show the art for yet, but they are included. You get Duress, which again doesn't matter much. You get Seize the Day, which doesn't matter much, and Cross and Grip. Um, 
these are just kind of nice throw-ins. I, I would look at all of them as being three to five dollar cards, and just hope that the the Ristic study is going to justify the, the forty dollar price tag, and everything else is going to be bonus. There's also, of course, going to be some kind of bonus card here that we don't know about, which could drag up the value. And there's these one out of a hundred chase cards that could well be included. And if I'm so far, we've only seen those chase cards come out of the Praetors drop from that that super drop and so it doesn't seem like they were equally distributed amongst the drops so it does seem like we're supposed to be playing the guessing game of which drop has the one out of 100 stuff and if i'm that's so obnoxious and if i'm guessing about that looking at the last two super drops one was focused on stranger things the other one's focused on arcane i think it's probably a pretty good bet that they want you to buy the 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 ones that they put in the title header so I would guess that the upside is related to the Stranger Things drop, and in this case, the Arcane drop. Which doesn't make any damn sense, because why am I going to be inclined to buy this if they don't actually tell me that? Right? Like, <laughs> if they don't tell me that the super secret 1 in 100 cards are in these drops, why would I go buy them? Like, we have to let three of these drops go by before we go okay they're putting it in the banner in the tie-in product every time yep uh whatever yeah i the the secret layer one here so the arcane stuff here the god they've got this under several different names this is this is confusing how they've got this name okay the lands are garbage i think the lands are terrible just right off the bat. We're talking about Secret Layer times Arcane colon lands. Land. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I rated those a pass, um, and it contributed to my overall opinion that bundles, though they have made them more attractive here, may not be the way to go. They actually boosted, discovered in my analysis, that they boosted the uh, bundle savings by about 3% on average. So it ranges from 17 to 21% off, depending on which bundle you commit to. Uh, but it, I still don't, I'm not confident that it's enough to justify getting saddled with some of these lesser drops here that seem very unlikely to generate interest. There's been a lot of cool basic land releases this year via Secret Layer and elsewise, like the, um, <coughs> the lands that come out of Crimson Vow are gorgeous especially if they come out of a set booster box. Um, these arcane lands, again, they don't scream League of Legends to me. They scream arcane to me, and they're not. They're just a regular frame, and I just don't think that's going to justify a $30 to $40 price tag. So for me, that's a skip. I think the one with Rustic Study is fine. The next one on the list is the uh, Welcome to Castle Dracula which I primarily looked at in terms of it being a foil, uh, access to foils. Because in this case, you get Exquisite Blood, which is a card that has dodged Wait. reprint for a while. Wait, you didn't let me talk about the Secret Layer Arcane cards yet. Oh, okay. You you want you have commentary on Rhystic Study, et cetera? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I think these are bad, too. <laughs> Like I, I don't know. They're they're so uninteresting to look at. I don't think there's any people love the show, but I I don't see these selling cart that selling product at all. Um, they're the art's bad. It's not interesting if you're interested. If you if you're the art's not good, so they're 
not interesting if you're not into it. Even if you are into it, it's not really evocative or that interesting to look at. The sole takeaway here is the Ristic study, well, yeah, well, right? The availability of that card, which I know, you, I, I, I know, I'm just kind of not repeating what you said. I'm reaffirming what you said here. I, like I know you need to internalize my logic often and have it come back out of your mouth before it clicks. No, no, no. I was with you on that to begin with. Like, I, I would, I agree with you. I'm just saying this so that people know you or I are 100 percent on the same page. Like, it's just right. you're buying this for the Ristic study. So, but in that, but if, as far as that's concerned, it seems reasonably positioned a, a rhystic study is a rhystic study and this is going to be the first yeah. mass availability of this this card it, it it may it may signal but doesn't necessarily signal that we're not going to get rhystic study in the commander legends 2 which i had i had suggested might well be the case earlier on several episodes back when we were recalling that the commander legends 2 is a D set and that rhystic is very much a magic term and may or may not be something they would want to allude to within a Forgotten Realm set. So bottom line, the yeah, the Rhystic Study probably carries that one. And the others, there's some solid cards there, like a Fancy Thran Dynamo and Foil and a Path to Exile. That's, those are 5 or $10 bills by themselves. Any bonus card you get there is going to be a nice a nice win and seems like a... I would guess that they end up being worth 60 to 70 inside a year and you put 40 in. Seems fine. Um, yeah. Moving on to Welcome to Castle Dracula. So Welcome to Castle Dracula is cool because you get access to Exquisite Blood, which is in 17,000 EDH rec decks and 4% of all black decks total. And it's only ever had three printings, Avacyn Restored, The List, and Jumpstart, two of which are pretty obscure, Jumpstart and The List. Um, and this will be the first foil printing since AVR, and those foils go for 70 bucks. So any version of this card currently is over $30. So getting a foil version of the card alongside uh, foil Phyrexian Tower done up as Dracula's Tomb, this is just, a, to me, this is an auto win. I mean, you also get a, a, a Night's Whisper, which I call the throwaway card in my analysis, a pro trader pointed out that foil knights whispers are actually worth a decent chunk of change because they get played in a lot of uh, a lot of black decks and they haven't printed those foils very often. So I'm also a huge fan of the exquisite blood art. Like it's museum quality art, not just fantasy art. Um, the knights whisper I'm not as excited about, and the Dracula's tomb is you know standard fantasy art. But it's a Phyrexian tower <laughs> called Drac Dracula's Tomb. So the nice thing here is they've timed this so perfectly. People are buying these with the Dracula, the vampire decks being a big deal right now. There's a whole bunch of vampire commanders you can branch out into, or you can just keep running Edgar Markov, whatever you want to do. Tons of good cards for that in Midnight Hunt and in Vow. And now they're coughing up some stuff that you might want to slide into those decks, and they're making it fully thematic so that it it works perfectly there. Basically, if you're building a vampire deck or a horror-themed deck in EDH, and you got to choose a Phyrexian Tower down the road, you're going to want the one that says Dracula on it. I mean, it's it's pretty much better than what's out there right now, which is, you know, the the Urza Saga one is cool just by, by virtue of being the original, but you know, even though it's chippy, it's not the greatest looking. 
And the UMA copy is passable, but it's it's not remarkable. Uh, and yet UMA foils so direct- still go for $45. Right, 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 right. So, you know, I could see Fraxing Towers price coming down a little bit if they printed a higher volume release of this at some point. Although, you know, UMA was a couple years ago, but it's not like that was a low product run. There's plenty of cards from that set that do not cost a fortune. So Phyrexian Tower definitely has some weight behind it on its own. Um, but I agree that, you know, just getting a Phyrexian Tower here is quite solid and the exquisite blood value is excellent. I think this is going to be a home run both in foil and non-foil. My guess is that the non-foils might actually be better returns. I know that over time, it seems like the non-foil secret layers as a whole outperform the foil ones slightly. Uh, and given that they probably have higher velocity, I think I actually like the non-foil package here more. Um, but both are probably very solid. And what I like about this in particular is that, you know, if we look at something like the Phyrexian secret layer, right, the Praetors, it was really obvious and everyone knew it. So they sold a tremendous amount of like those. Four times more than they normally do. Four yeah. And times. some of the some of the very good secret layers have just been obvious. This one is less so because it's not like, oh, look at these cool five Phyrexian, you know, the paraders in the Phyrexian script. It's more just like, oh yeah, here's some cool black cards. Like with some nifty Dracula art, right? It just doesn't catch the same way. So the financial minded are going to notice it, but the general population won't. Well, it's the, it's kind of like there's a segment of the population that's keyed into the vampire stuff right now that will be drawn to it. But if you're the kind of magic player that isn't building a vampire deck right now, then you may not feel the need to acquire these particular cards. One of the nice things is that though they're vampire themed, they are actually just fantastic black cards. Like Phyrexian Tower is also a super EDH staple, 37,000 decks, 9% of all black decks, fits in all sorts of stuff. You, you, you want a tower in your zombie deck too, and a whole bunch of other places. Um, I'm not, I, I can't say for sure whether non-foil or foil is going to overperform. I can tell you that the natural EV of these three cards in non-foil is closer to 45 and non-foil and 100 plus in foil. So given that the foils are 33% more expensive, it seems like they they can outperform the non-foils, but it remains to be seen. Bottom line, I think this, this one's a winner. You want to buy some of these? Yeah, we're, we're on the same page. That they're both, they're both solid choices. The other thing is this isn't open for a month. Like this, I think this was open for either a week or two weeks because I'm seeing a five-day countdown on this stuff. Uh, I definitely saw saw it for more than seven days because I checked in when they were talking ten, about the mischief I think it was stuff. Ten days. I believe it was ten days. Yeah, that sounds because that sounds probably accurate. Yeah, so I mean, a ten day release is is always worth paying closer attention to because it will naturally sell less stuff, and especially during this Black Friday week when Wizards is trying to bite off their piece of the pie, but really they're competing with such a broad segment of consumer spend people are buying their tvs this week they're buying the new laptops they're buying christmas gifts lots of people will skip this on on that basis uh i really like buying stuff during this time of year <laughs> like if they were to release one of these things on january 8th i could not be more excited because <coughs> a dead zone is exactly where i want them to put out something that's going to be popular later but that lots of people will miss now I want a I want a six hour secret layer on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while people are like passed out from jerky specifically. Uh, yeah, Dracula lands 
foil non-foil edition. I like these better because they're Dracula lands. If you're better than what the the arcane by lands. A lot. Now that doesn't mean I like these enough to buy them. I did not. I've already placed my order for this stuff, and I skipped this. I I think you probably end up doing pretty well with these. I think they may end up being like the Godzilla lands that you and I both underestimated, and they did very well. Reason being, they're highly thematic and evocative. For instance, and if you're sliding these into a deck, they just make perfect sense. Now, one of the things that I think is unfortunate <laughs> is the art they used for the forest... Uh, is probably the best of the bunch and the least likely to be in a vampire deck. It's funny you say that because the art, the forest art, to me, it's kind of goofy. It's got very good phrasing. Like just... Look at the look at the smaller version, not the up close version. Like, I oh, I agree with parses, you. Like, it, it is parses much better. When you glance down at like the collection of the five, the green one definitely stands exactly. out. I am not debating that at all. It's the framing. But when you when you actually stop and look at it. It's kind of goofy. It's, like, he's just standing on this car. Like, it just... I don't know, man. It's just... He's not menacing enough when you look <laughs> close. But... No, it's... It looks like a... It looks like a still from, like, a Dracula action movie or something. Okay. The, I, I suspect these do fine. Uh, I'm not willing to roll those dice to find out when there's so much better... So many better options here in front of us. So I, I skipped this one. Um, the next one is Fibble Thip completely, utterly, Wait. totally lost. You got to give. I, I, I want my opportunity to share. Okay. What more do we have to say about uh, that? The uh, was Ale- uh, Alexis posted that commentary on the secret layers in the Discord, yep. and I read Very through it. And the, it was it's excellent. The basic lands on the secret layers across the border, all over the place. And I was stuck trying to figure out if these are closer to the Godzillas or if they're closer to some of the other ones, like the which have really bombed. Like the Bob Rosses are terrible. By the way, the full art basic lands are like some of the worst of the bunch. Uh, which I have I ordered a bunch of those. So you mean the full those text? Turn around. Yeah, the full text. Yeah, but text. the thing is, like anybody who commented on full text in the Discord, shut up and get back to me in six months. Like, well, wow. when a secret layer launches. And all the copies hit simultaneously in a two-week period. You're not supposed to make money there. That's only supposed to work if you're on TCG Direct and you're like getting you, you happen to get yours 48 hours before everybody else. Otherwise, that shit's supposed to tank to the moon, especially if it was a popular drop, and especially if it's something like the Full Art Basic Lands, where a lot of people said, "Oh, those will, those are unique. I'm going to go deep on those." You're going to have to wait on that one. To, to the jury is definitely out on full text lands. Get back to me in a year and we'll see where, where, where they're at. But your point still yeah. stands. Some lands have done well, some have not, and predicting which is not that easy. No. So that brings us to the Dracula lands. Are these on the side of like the brutal lands, where which have the swamp that we talked about earlier and the Godzilla lands, which overperformed, or are they more on the side of like the arcane lands, which I don't even have to see the numbers to know those are going to do really poorly? I, you know, if I have to, if I'm, am I envisioning a, a, a linear, a line here? I feel like these probably tip slightly towards the Godzilla side. Just because they, they're a full art. They have uh, a thematic, interesting component to them um, that you can see on the card. 
And even though they don't speak to me, I think there will be people who are interested in them. And I also think they're going to be bought pretty shallow. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see these sell a lot of this whole entire secret layer, not just the lands, but this entire group of cards to sell pretty lightly. And these might be the one of the lighter ones of the group. So I, I would not buy them in foil. I would buy them in non-foil. And I I think you probably do okay, but uh, uh, that is hard to guess. Okay. That is a hard one. We're, we're mostly on the same page there again. So moving on over to Fibblethip, completely, utterly, totally lost foil and non and regular edition. This is a interesting concept, and I think that the there's a missing part to the execution here. If you're going to give me a Where's Waldo equivalent with a whole bunch of, like, magic Easter eggs and Fibblethip being hidden in the picture, it really behooves you to generate five cards that make sense to be sitting next to each other on a commander table. This is where they should have done basic lands. Because if you can run them beside each other in, say, a five-color deck, then it gets extra cute. But instead... <laughs> They give us the weirdest assortment of five cards, including a repeat from another drop in the super drop. They're giving us Path to Exile again, which they just gave us above in the Arcane one. And is in the... No, Stories of Plowshares is in Mischief. Yeah. Sorry. So Path yep. to Exile, Well of Lost Dreams, Frantic Search, Intruder Alarm, and Shell Dock Isle. These cards are not going to get played together. This panorama is never going to show up on your EDH table. It makes no sense. Is it a panorama? It's a panorama. It, it makes no sense to do, have done this this way. This is a dropped, a, a half-completed concept execution. Um, now, that being said, art is still cool. Uh, Path to Exile is still fine. Super staple. Too many versions. Doesn't The good ones are still worth some money. Well of Lost Dreams is in 16,000 EDH decks on EDH rack. 2% of all decks. Uh, only has one original foil printing from Dark Steel. Those go for about 40 bucks, so these should probably be able to hold 10 to 20. Frantic Search is, is a major EDH staple, 48,000 decks, 12% of all blue decks. Two foil printings only, Urza's Legacy and UMA. Original foils are 70 bucks. UMA foils are only three, so maybe these can hold somewhere between three and 10. Intruder Alarm with 7,500 EDH rec decks, 2% of all blue decks, much more specialized EDH card, uh, and it's one that just got a foil reprint out of the Mystery Booster Convention Edition boxes. Those only go for 7 bucks. Uh, this version probably ends up somewhere similar. Shell Dock Isle is more of a modern mill card than anything else. Has only one foil printing from Lorwyn. Those are about 65 bucks. So I'd guess these might be 10 or $20, but it kind of depends on how many mill players go after them. Um, I think the whole premise here is a little too cute. And if Path to Exile had been a banner card that wasn't otherwise represented in another part of the drop, I'd be more excited about it. As it is, you're going to have two version, fancy secret layer versions of Path to Exile that all whose copies all hit TCG player and compete against each other. That's not ideal. Um, so again, I skipped this one. Yeah, this one is weird. I think the idea is real. I'm saying about as you, I think the idea is really cool and this could have been extremely well done, but the cards they chose to put it on are so odd. And then to, to do the text boxes with that kind of full color that blocks some of the art up on the bottom at the same time, when the art is more than just simply looking cool, 
confusing. The buy again, I I think buying these in non foil is not terrible. I do think they're visually remarkable. They're busy. They're maximalist in a way that a lot of Magic cards aren't. They're very busy, but it's kind of a, a nifty break from the more common art styles. So I think they just they they jump off the page well. So I kind of like them from that regard, but the cards are mediocre. This is another one I could see picking up a, cu- a couple non-foils here, but I'm not in love with it. See, the thing about... I, I'm really disappointed that they, they botched the, the whole project. The thing is about Secret, when you're looking at a super drop, there's almost no reason to put any money into the thing that's a maybe when the other thing that you think is a win is the same price. Well, it, I see that. I mean, there is because if your maybe ends up, if your maybe ends up a ten, then it worked out really well, right? I I, I consider the maybes is essentially higher risk, a higher risk reward. See, I I because I, when it comes I see, to secret I, layers, I see them if, as having higher risk but no additional reward. It depends on which one we're talking about. Like the the arcane stuff, I think it's just going to fall flat. But something like this, maybe these are more popular than we realize and also undersell. And it's a you're the rat type of thing. Um, it, so some of them where I'm unsure of or so, some of them I'm like, some of them are very risky, but I consider the reward potentially solid others are just bad i think this one is a risky risk reward issue all right the next one the next one on the list here is crocodile jackson's monstrous menagerie foil etched edition it also comes in regular there is no regular foil and this is very similar to one of the drops from the last super drop which we don't even have our hands on yet so we don't know how the foil etched actually plays out on these uh hyper saturated cards that they're presenting here um, I can tell you that this is a group of mostly mid-tier EDH creature staples that would be largely under the radar for a lot of people, I think. I think people would look at this list and say, what's with this? Like, why these five creatures? The answer is, they've been looking at EDH rec. I absolutely guarantee you that this drop was planned looking at EDH rec numbers. There's just no other way this any a lot of this makes sense. Because these creatures range from 8,400 EDH rec decks to 26,000. That's why it's these five creatures. Ravenous Chupacabra, 26,000 EDH rec decks, 6% of all black. Uh, these are only a dollar non-foil, $5 in foil. Mana Gorger Hydras, 13,000 EDH rec, 3% of green decks, a dollar normally, 6 in foil. Pathbreaker Ibix is 8,400 EDH rec, 2% of green decks. Uh, uh, and is was only in Commander 2015 and Anthology, so this is the first ever foil. And regular copies are $27. So first ever foil of a kind of under-the-radar single printing card that never had a foil before? That's cool. Uh, Teamer Sabretooth, 23,000 EDH rec, 350, $20 in foil, with a single foil printing, two printings total. It's got broad applications in EDH with decent upside on a cool version for sure. And then Winding Constrictor, 10.5 to 11,000 EDH rec decks, 6% of green black decks, 30 cents normally and $3 in foil. Again, I don't think this is a big enough opportunity because there's nothing, no huge draw here, but the art has great curbside appeal. These will sell well at retail. Like if I was running a store, 
some of these I would be more interested in than I would, if I was selling online because these just pop out of the case. They're just hypersaturated, weird-looking art, and they're permanents, so they make a statement at a commander table. They start a conversation. They've chosen some good mid-tier EDH creatures here, um, and the foil Ibix and the foil Sabertooth probably anchor the thing. I like this drop a lot less in non-foil because the non-foils of these cards are very, very cheap. Yeah, this is... Uh, eh, I don't think... This art doesn't do it for me. I feel like it probably doesn't do it for a lot of people. The creatures themselves aren't pretty mediocre. Like, I feel like the Pathbreaker Abex is carrying all the weight here for me. I I would just stay away entirely. Like, I, this is one where... Like, maybe it ends up being good, but this is so much less compelling than, like, the Fibblethip one, which seems like it could really hit a chord with some people. I don't see that this one pulling that off at yep, all. I skipped this one. Uh, yeah. Next on the list is the Far Out Man, which comes in both foil and regular. And this one looks like a winner to me. Uh, much more compelling set of cards. We have First of all, the art is incredible. This is world-class fantasy art. Um, and we have Counterspell, Fabricate, Ethergust, Factor Fiction, and Mystical Tutor. Mystical Tutor and Counterspell carry a lot of weight here. Um, Counterspell, of course, is now a modern and EDH S-tier staple, many premium printings, but coupled, coupled with a ton of demand to match. The Japanese Mystical Archive foil version is at $50 for Counterspell, so that's a premium foil from just earlier in the year. Um, and the English Mystical Archive foils are 10 bucks. The MH2 borderless foils from the summer are 13 And the Commander uh, Legends FEAs from last uh, fall are 4 So you've got a pretty wide range there between 4 and fifth, like 5 and $50, depending on how heavily printed a premium version of this card is and how much people like it. Wait, say, say, which card are, we, are you going to talk about here? Counterspell, okay. Uh, so borderless foils, probably safe to assume they're going to be in the $10 to $20 range, I would imagine. The art in this case is is especially nice. Um, and then Fabricate is in 28,000 EDH rack decks, 7% of all blue decks. It's a great artifact tutor with no foil printing since M10. Uh, and those go for $24. So that's likely a strong EV contributor here. Aethergust is mostly a pioneer card, but those foils are 23 bucks. Um, even still, I wouldn't I wouldn't value these at more than five just to be safe, um, and I certainly have trouble picturing them above ten to fifteen. Factor Fiction is a massive EDH staple with fifty thousand EDH rec decks reported, thirteen percent of all blue decks, and this is the first ever premium version of the card because these are foil borderless. Uh, and FNM promos are twelve bucks. These should probably be worth more, so let's call this a fifteen dollar card. And then Mystical Tutor is another great EDH tutor, of course. Uh, and a super staple, 85,000 EDH rec decks reported, 22% of all blue decks. I mean, it tutors up an instant, so uh, why wouldn't you want to use it for one blue? First premium version of the card with uh, EMA foils at $53. That's probably a massive EV contributor here, and the art's incredible. So I've got this clocked at something like uh, $70 to $100 in potential foil value here, and you can get it for 40 bucks. I don't see a downside. Yeah, easily one of the, possibly the best one of the bunch. The only other secret layer, only other drop here. Collection, what are we calling these? The only other 
package drop. that competes with this drop? Is each one of these a drop, or is the secret layer as a whole a no, drop? No, the secret layer as a whole is a sure. super drop. Uh, okay. Well, each... Oh, God. This, uh, the only other drop here that's, I think, competitive is the ca- uh, Welcome to Castle Dracula. It's excellent. The art is awesome. It's got some great color in it. Some of the best art they've put on Magic cards in quite some time. And the cards themselves are excellent. Like Counterspell, Mystical Tutor, and Factor Fiction are all home runs. Uh, and then Fabricate and Aether Gust are just freebies. So... I like these in both foil and non-foil. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember that the non-foils tend to be a better choice, even if it's not what I'm drawn to off the bat. Uh, but I don't think you can go wrong here. These these all seem like excellent choices. So then they gave so us. I like this quite a bit. Another basic land drop. In this case, they called it Pixel Snowlands, and this one, oddly enough, comes in all three kinds: regular, foil, and foil etched. It's in 8-bit foil graphics. I mean, 8-bit graphics. Uh, they are snow basics. We have a decided lack of good snow basics. So an argument can be made that these might be the best. They are pretty striking. Um, but again, I bought zero of these because I just don't care about these basic land ones. And if I'm wrong about them, I'm fine with that. It will be information to be absorbed later and then analyzed as we get more and more of the basic land drops. We can start to get a sense of which ones we're supposed to grab and which ones we're not. I'm, if you tell me nobody's buying it, I would go back and buy some. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and otherwise, I just don't care. Now, see, this is one, I think, where you and I end up the furthest apart. I actually think this is really good. And this is, this might, I think this is my third favorite drop of the group. Um, you're absolutely right. There are no good. There's very little in the way of good snow covered lands out there. Uh, that you've got Modern Horizons one had a set of them, the full art ones that are Zendikar inspired that look sort of like uh, the original Zendikar full art lands. So you've got those available to you, but that's pretty much it. There was the there was another secret layer that had a snow cover island here. I want to say this was, I don't even know what secret layer that was part of. Scryfall doesn't have the greatest sorting for this, so it's hard for me to tell what drop that came from. And Kaldheim had some, but they were just, you know, whatever, normal looking lands. So really the only competition here is the Modern Horizons uh, 1 lands. Those are 10 bucks for the foils and like two bucks for the non-foils. So those prices aren't amazing, but the inventory on those is gonna be pretty solid. But Snow Covered Island is in 50,000 EDH rock decks. They have a lot of, they have a very solid play pattern. They also get played in a ton of competitive decks. Like we see them show up frequently um, because you can run them like if you're playing Factor Fiction or if you want to throw your opponent off, like essentially there's no reason not to play snow covered a lot of the times in competitive decks. So a lot of people run these just because why not? And then, you know, if they decide to play snow cards and they get lucky that they have these available to them already, or it throws their opponent off. They don't know if they're playing a snow covered land. Essentially these, I think snow covered lands in general see more play than a lot of us might realize at the outset. Uh, and then, so 
you take that and then you will go, well, the art on these is actually really cool. At least the colors are, are great. Um, they've got a real bisexual lighting thing going on here, I think, which is the, the turquoise and pink. Um, but it is very evocative of the, that sort of eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Like it's, it's a little bit of Lisa Frank, but also that like, um, 80s neon glow type of thing that is very popular with like our with my generation, uh, our, our generation. I don't know if it if you if you see it as much with your peers, but it it's definitely popular. Um, basically, I think these are cards that see a decent amount of play. I think they're they're very great art. If you don't care about the like pixel aspect and the computer you know, border at the top. You don't have to care about that. You can just kind of ignore it and they just look like cool lands. But that also adds in value for someone who's interested in that. I think these do pretty well, honestly. So one of the potential opportunities here that I mentioned on the Discord, uh, expand on here, is the foil etched version. Nobody knows what these are actually going to look like and how they differ differ from the foil to the foil etched. If the foil etched ends up being much maligned, as many of the foil etched products so far to date have been, then you're going to have trouble unloading them. If it turns out that the foil etched has been changed now, and that the foil etched on these is going to look really cool, but a lot of people are turned off by the words foil etched on the secret layer site, it could be that the foil etched edition at $40 ends up being a massive winner because nobody orders it, it's super under-ordered, and then in, people get them in hand and start posting pictures on social media, and everyone goes, oh, fuck, they fixed etched. That looks really sick. <laughs> I mean, they, I feel like we have this conversation every time they release a foil etched card, right? Like, oh, is this the time they got it right? Well, well, we know <laughs> with, the, with the drop with the with the signets that the, the versions that... Uh, that the versions that they sent to the influencers were a better version, right? Uh, That's why they were worth so much money on on eBay, etc. No, because no, because when they sent they them, just, they were straight OBF instead of being the etched versions that everybody else was getting. Right. So we, I mean, we're presuming that these are going to be these are in both foil and etched foil. Yeah, my. My question with etched is often about whether the etched, if you look at the commander uh, legends, etched commanders, they tend to be very dark because because the etching requires that you brighten the image behind it for it to be visible. Otherwise, it ends up far too dark. If you limit etching to exterior borders and let the art be normal that seems your best bet for etching but given how they did the art on these pixel lands i worry that they're going to etch the entire picture and it's not going to look good yeah i i I don't have an answer to that and it would be real nice if in the next uh five days and 12 hours gavin posted a picture of the damn things and he may well have and i missed Uh, it but i and actually they might have shown these off on the stream I didn't watch the entire stream, so we should go back and take a look at that and see if we can suss anything out. But I'll tell you, there's too many question marks on this one. I won't be surprised if you get a win on it, but I just steered clear. If these were not Snowlands, I would not be into them. 
but because there's snowlands and there's so many fewer options for those, especially relative to how much play they see, I'm more into them. Which version I'm not 100% settled on. I, I would have to see if I can find a video of the foil etched. I feel like, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you on which version. I might end up splitting the difference and, and trying to go between the three. But it's, it's definitely uh, on the top half of all the drops here. And I'll buy at least a couple. So, so here's one of the reasons I skipped some of these things that were questionable. Because this next thing was just such an obvious win. They're expanding the secret layer program. We knew that that was you know, a sooner or later thing. And here they go. They hit us with a brand new product. They're doing bespoke commander decks. You know, you and I have talked about on cast before about why don't they have a $100 commander deck yet? Well, they just gave us one. $99.99 for Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. It's a Gavin Verhey tuned uh, Zinder Split Eye of Wisdom, Okan Eye of Chaos uh, coin flipping deck. And this thing is, to me, looks like an auto win. It's the first time they've ever done this. And there, there's a ton of value in here. It's like $240 worth of cards uh, in a $100 product. It's a bit of a left field commander. It's definitely not top to a top 20 commander by any means, but it's going to be, it's going to have some pretty solid meme value. Again, it's the first in a series. They're for sure going to do more of these. And this is everything you get. You get five foil reversible borderless cards that are key cards from the deck. So both of the commanders have reversible art. Then you get uh, Propaganda, Stitch in Time, and Krark's Thumb. Uh, the Propaganda being probably the most uh, valuable of the five cards, if I was guessing. And then 45 foil reprints in the deck. And 50 non-foil reprints. I'll pause there for a sidestep to say, that's friggin' weird. You gave people a deck where... <laughs> half of its foil and half of its non-foil you're not going to be able to sleeve that up and and have it not be obvious which half your is on top of the deck super weird yeah i hope they didn't use a terrible foiling process on this the non-foil reprints though include foil greaves foil thought uh sorry uh 59 foil reprints but also including foil greaves uh, foil Thought Vessel, Another Goblin Engineer, Gamble, Ember Cleave, Commander's Plate, and a Training Center. That's the blue-red dual land from Commander Legends from last year this time. A Shadow Spear and a Foil Blasphemous Act. That's solid value inclusion. There's a, a super cool coin that they're including that you can flip that's for sure going to be a 5 or $10 collectible by itself. And then two Display Commanders. So there's like some bigger version of uh, the uh, your partnered commanders. Ten double-faced tokens. Those are probably going to be two or three bucks a piece. A deck box, a life wheel, and the arena sleeves code. Plus whatever bonus they include in this. They'll for sure be a bonus. Easy breezy lemon squeezy. Grab these at a hundred bucks in whatever quantity you want and given x amount of time i can't tell you if it's going to be three months or three years they will eventually be worth double what they started at because it's the start of a whole series of products yep yeah, uh i agree this is a, a product that will definitely land well um the the novelty of this will be high 
the the propaganda the artwork is all interesting um if not my total favorite but it's it's decent the propaganda in particular is really cool i would love to see more stuff that looks more looks like that but all the art is nifty stitching time is not a huge deal crux thumb is solid but uh i mean if for 100 100 bucks is not like cheap but there's a lot of stuff in here i i'm inclined i'm inclined to buy these and then just leave them sealed I'm not really eager to crack them and deal with that mess. Maybe if I had, you know, if I was a, a store, an actual store, it might and it, it might be more worth it. But I'll I might grab a couple of these and just leave them sealed and hopefully, you know, they could, could definitely fetch two to three hundred dollars down the road, especially with the coin and whatever throw-in ends up being in here. That all seems like it's gonna add some some real value as a sealed product. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if it's gonna be one of those things that doesn't sell all that well, and then they do one of these like every time, and that so you end up with like oh the first one or two in this long in the series of EDH decks ends up being valuable because they they didn't sell as many, kind of like the dual decks type of thing. Just gonna double check here what exactly my order was because I posted it to the pro, pro traders, but that was multiple days ago. Uh, Pre-order confirmation. Yeah, so I got... There's no good photo of the coins. Mm, he posted one on Twitter. It's it's pretty nice. Mm. Gotcha. So I think where I ended up going with this was I got multiple versions of the deck. And I think I got... I want to say at least six of the deck. And then of the arcane stuff, I think I got equal measures of Secret Layer Times Arcane, Welcome to Castle Dracula, and Far Out Man. And I think you're going to have trouble going wrong there, even though you're not getting the 15 to 20% discount on the bundles. Did you say multiple versions of the deck? No, just multiple copies. Multiple copies, okay. Yeah, I haven't pl placed my order. I will probably end up... I don't I, I might get the Arcane. I don't know. I might leave that. I will probably grab... Definitely going to grab some Comet quantity of Welcome to Castle Dracula. Probably at least a Fibble Thip or two. Maybe a Dracula Land or two. Several Far Outs. Some Pixel Snow Lands. And maybe a couple decks. I don't know. We'll see. How saucy I feel. Oh, yeah, and uh, the mischief. Right. So, <laughs> complicating this whole thing, Secret Lair also uh, did a project with a design collective called Mischief out of, on the east coast of the U.S., and we had been talking about this a couple weeks ago without having any details, and I guessed that a couple of things might be possible. They might release it only on the Mischief app, which is where they do all the rest of the Mischief drops, and it might be very short term. It might be very low, uh, very low uh, number of copies available, and then it might shut down. It turns out most of that was not correct. It ended up being not yeah. more expensive. It's still thirty nine ninety nine. There's only one version of it, um, and it's available on the secret layer site alongside the other super drop. So why they didn't just include it in the super drop, I have no idea. 
Um, it feels like a, a weird timing thing where maybe like a different person was tasked with this particular relationship and it just ended up that that the schedules were slightly overlapping. But I posted my, my review of this one for the Discord earlier this evening and basically came to the conclusion this also looks like a win. And it's a win on the back of three cards in particular. Uh, a fancy Swords to Plowshares, a fancy Grim Tutor, and a fancy Blood Moon. It's going to be hard to go wrong with those with those three cards. Blood Moon is a, is a pretty big deal again in Modern. There's a lot of wild mana bases running around. Uh, MPS, like Masterpiece Series, Amaket, Amonket Invocations go for about 100 bucks for Blood Moon. DXM Borderless Foils are pretty are very lovely and go for 40 The, the clo- cheapest Blood Moon you can get at all non or regular is ninth edition copies white bordered at 15 bucks so i think you can rely on the gold foil etched version of blood moon to be at least 15 dollars um cut to ribbons doesn't really matter it's not an important card in any format teferi's puzzle box is pretty niche but a fancy version of the puzzle box is probably a 15 to 30 dollar card um and Grim Tutor, of course, we have the fancy foil borderless copies from Core 21, and I think those are actually better, even than the very solid graphic design they've tabled here. So I would imagine these are 15 to 20 as well, and then the Swords to Plowshares is probably something like a $20 card. I think Swords is both the highest demand card in this bunch and the best looking, and I think that helps because the you, I think you can probably rely on them to be... 20 bucks so if you look at most of the, the cards in this as being five to ten and then the swords at 20 the blood moons pretty close to 20 pretty easy to justify a 40 dollar price tag especially since we already know what the secret card is here because they revealed it early on the mischief twitter account where they had the yeah golf course planes that everybody was complaining about turns out that's a sticker you peel back and under it is a cool looking battlefield forge and battlefield forge is a forty thousand edh rec deck kind of land so i think you can probably count on those to be at least ten dollars given the novelty of having a sticker over it yeah that that was i remember when they announced that and i was so confused by like the plane, the planes having the the golf course. I'm like, I, what am I? I'm like, I gotta be missing something here. This is just, I don't know. It just seemed like an odd inclusion. Makes a lot more sense now. Um, I the that that battlefield forge. I feel like it's gonna end up being kind of expensive because no one's gonna want to pull the sticker off of theirs. There's definitely a like prisoner's dilemma there, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Like or or at least at a last the, last person standing kind of scenario where. Last person right. to pull their sticker right. off has the most valuable card. Right. It's I, the the I I am perplexed that they would produce this product and then release it like every other secret layer. Like, why wouldn't your collaboration with this art weird art collective not be like your ultra limited drop? Yeah. I I be, bewildering, but whatever. This is what it is. I. I think this Blood Moon is going to end up being one of the best ones, best versions of the card out there. Um, it's a very cool looking card. I think the the Blood Moon, the Grim Tutor is like medium play, but also I really like that it's just so distinct compared to the extended art ones, which are just like, yeah, they just click a magic card. This one looks, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm drawn to novelty. Sure. Um, and the Source of Plowshares is really solid too. So I... I, I, I think these are all really good. I mean, the price of this thing is 40 bucks. 
So like 13, if you can hit $13 for each of those, you're breaking even. That seems quite good. But there's no, um, it's just the one version, right? It's either, they're all foil and that's it. They're all called, they're, they're kind, different kinds of foil. The Swords of Plowshares. They're called foil, but there's no non-foil. Yeah, they, the Swords of Plowshares is gold foil etched, which basically just means all the gold parts of the card are probably etched foil, which is going to look so crazy nice because the rest of it's going to be matte would be my guess. And then the Grim Tutor is traditional foil with silver laminate. So it's going to have kind of the sheen that the Crimson Vow lands have or something pretty similar, which look very nice in person. Uh, the Blood Moon is gold foil etched, and so is the cut ribbons. By the way, the cut ribbons is the is the best overall art and also the card that is the most pointless, which is okay. unfortunate. Um, and then the Teferi's puzzle box is traditional foil with silver laminate. So there's no clean, just like simple foils here. Um, and I, But I, I suspect that swords is going to look insane in person. Well, I, I suppose um, there's no there's only one version of this. There's no non-foil like there's just the mischief drop and whatever foil products, whatever's in it is in. However, they foil it or in here, yeah. yeah. So uh, I went ahead and snapped off 10, 10 of these at forty bucks a piece. Ten, seems ten. Seems very safe. Yeah, I, uh, I will probably buy at least one to stash for myself. I'm, I think these are solid. I, I'm trying to figure out like how well I think it will sell. Well, here's the thing: it's only available for seven days. Like as of tonight, as we're recording. There's only four days, 12 hours left. Again, that's overlapping. Which with is a day three, less than the other ones. Three days less. And it's it's overlapping with the the Super Drop. It's during Black Friday. It's heading into Thanksgiving this weekend. Tons of people are going to forget to buy this. Well, no, because I've got five days left for everything else and four days left for this one. Does yours show something different? Yeah, but they started on different days. I just mean like from from right now. Yeah, yeah. Secret layer yeah, yeah, has four days left. Days, the other ones days, have five days total left. Total days posted is still it was three days less. Arcane has five days less because it gotcha. was ten total, and this one was seven. Pretty sure yeah. something like that. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know and like does the fact that this showed up on the mischief like Twitter feed and their app and what have you like is that going to draw more people? Like presumably not. I, I don't think so much at all because like they they their other drop this month was was horse flavored chips, and then they're doing a thing that's called everyone gets a Lamborghini, where you everybody has to put in seventy five dollars and then like one person gets a real Lamborghini and everybody get everybody else gets various sizes of toy Lamborghinis, like there's hmm. no almost no overlap here. This is the people the people yeah. that buy their stuff. It's on like meme value. It's not on quality of their graphic design per se. Although I'm sure they have de- devotees in my industry that de- buy their stuff just because they collect cool graphic design. Like, that's a thing we do. But that's a minor part of the whole process. If you don't play Magic, I don't see you reaching out to buy these. Let's put it that way. I mean, they're they're interesting if you enjoy... They, they are interesting individual pieces of art if that is a thing you might be into. But I would agree that the total number of sales that will account for will be... One percent or yeah, less. Probably the same as the League of Legends fans buying this other drop. Yeah. Did you see their uh, Andy Warhol shtick? Yeah, I thought that was clever and also profitable. <laughs> uh, so, but, but bottom yeah. line, there are some pretty good looking opportunities in the latest round of secret layers. Wizards makes a ton of money on these. They have every reason to make them 
uh, work out for folks. Because if they get a reputation for not being valuable, uh, they're gonna they're putting a lot of money at risk. So they're not gonna want to do that. They're gonna want to keep these exciting. I would agree, and I'll, it'll be curious to see how the any other future collabs proceed it does it does indicate to me that wizards is reluctant to create ultra premium products like you know little nas did his you know shoes with real blood in them type of thing where there's only like 666 pairs of those shoes sold which is also a mischief product i believe hasbro has a long history of putting very expensive transformers and shit on the shelf at toys r us and having them not sell and and I think that very much influences the culture culture at Watsy. They are not yeah, they're not is... a premium brand that knows how to play that game. They are a big box retailer who is scared to make things cost three digits or more. And it took them forever to get to collector booster boxes and beyond. And they had that one misstep around the Throne of Eldraine Ultra Premium Edition. And now that all being said, I can. I can imagine some other places they might go with this. They could do something like what they should have done with Innistrad Double Feature, where it was a best of all the Innistrad sets of all time mixed together in a draft form. They could do a super exciting draft set in a boot, like a booster box with a draft focus and sell it only through secret layer. That could be a thing that could happen. Yeah. I was just going to say, we've seen an EDH deck through secret layer so now long before they release a set or some larger sealed product only through secret layer i I could easily see that Um, happening and that everyone will bitch like you're not supporting the lgs's blah blah blah. and wizard's response will be my response which is shut up we're giving you more products to sell at the lgs level than ever it's it's on you to Hmm. generate the sale the sales (laughs) and, and and justify us giving it even more support in the meantime you're still getting you're getting twice as much product to sell per year that we used to give you and now on the side as an extra adjunct we are also selling this other stuff now you can make some arguments about cannibalism across those product lines you can argue that people spend less at their lgs if they're buying secret layers i think that's a valid conversation to have but you're you're never going to stop this gravy train now like w- w- once they started making 20 million a drop <laughs> And, and the profits were like six times or four times or two and a half times or whatever they are versus the traditional route of having multiple middlemen in the, in, in the, in the distribution process. There's no going back now. Like they're, they're going to explore this more fully. Yeah, I, they, they will. The, the, the sealed product, the sealed set via Secret Layer is a possibility. Of course, then their shipping costs go up. Uh, and the beauty of secret layers is the shipping is so cheap versus the cost of the product. The EDH deck already is, is pushing on that. The, the collab with Mischief, when they announced it, really seemed like they kind of got it. Like, oh, you've realized what the culture of this ultra premium stuff is out there in the world with sneakers and Pokemon cards and all the weird, crazy shit that street fashion companies do. And like that there is an appeal to making this stuff very rare and exclusive. And you kind of had already started doing that with Secret Layer, but like turn the knob to 12 
and you will start to get more people involved. Like, especially like if Wizards does did a you know does a secret layer collab with like Gucci, and it's ten grand, right? And it's only available for a day or something. Like, then you're getting national news outlets writing about it. And rich people who don't play Magic are interested because it's a crazy, wild Gucci product that they can barely buy. Uh, you know, so it just it just seems like the, like it feels like they are so close to dipping their toes into like the understanding what's available here, and then they do this this mischief drop, which is available for a week and it's forty bucks, and it's like why are why are you doing collabs like this if you're not embracing the culture that this hails from? They, they shouldn't know. have. They shouldn't Very have curious to. choice. They should have posted this at ninety nine ninety nine and put like one extra thing in it to really sweeten the deal, like a premium die or something, and. Yeah, the, something else. If either turn one of the other cards, like the Fairy's Puzzle Box, up to something really good, or add some product that's not a card, put something in there different than this, or like make the Blood Moon like a solid metal sheet that's been like laminated with gold or something. Yeah. You know, it, like something like. Really get into if, if it. If Ribbons had I, been I that know. art and it had been, or something similar, and it had been Demonic Tutor, you've got a ninety-nine dollar winner for sure. Yeah, and I, I, I shouldn't say I hope they do it more. They they push the envelope more. It's just the opportunities there. It's just so. It this is this is not the Throne of Eldraine holiday box, and I wonder if somebody at Wizards just doesn't get. That they're not the same thing, and you can you can put a four hundred dollars secret layer up, and people will buy it because that Throne of Eldraine thing was just the all, same crap all, you could get anyway. All anyways. they have to do to justify big price tags on secret layers is post the number of copies they'll print. Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah for because sure. They know at this point that the average secret layer is fifteen to twenty thousand copies, pretty much what we imagined it was. Every once in a while, you hit a super home run like the Praetor drop, and you sell 90,000 copies. Um, so, if you know your average is about 20K, then just, and you want to make 40 bucks times 20K, and that's your, your revenue stream you want to generate per layer, then just go ahead and post it at 99, and then post half as many. Say it's limited to 10,000. Number them, for Christ's sake. Just... Yeah. Just do the simple stuff that this low hanging fruit that is a major win. Yeah. And, yeah. and you'll pull it off. Agreed. Seems very obvious. And, Wizards should like hire even me. Troll and Toad is doing some big uh, thing I posted in the Pokemon uh, channel where they have like basically Pokemon graded Pokemon uh, grab bags for Black Friday. And. They're posted at some ridiculous price, and maybe you get like a forty thousand dollar card, and maybe you get a card that people shouldn't have graded, <laughs> and hmm. you know you were not going to know until you get it. And I didn't see the particular odds posted, so it's very much a roll the dice and pray. Um, yeah, and there's there's a lot to be done down that road, and they you know we'll see where they end up with it in a year or two. Yeah, so. So some good choices here overall, um, as there usually is with these secret layers. A couple in here that are so, worth it. So speaking of Black Friday, we have a Black Friday deal from yeah. from now until let's call it December for uh, maybe we'll call it December. What's a week from Friday? Since that's when lots of people will hear this. 
from now till December third, <laughs> you can hit me up via James at mggprice.com or at mggcritic on Twitter and uh, tell us you want in on the MGG Price Pro Trader Black Friday deal, and you will get $10 off regular Pro Trader, which would be $69.99 per year instead of $79.99, or you can get Pro Trader Premium, which includes access to our ridiculously good group buy program um, with massive savings on singles and sealed product, and you would be getting that instead of at $109.99 per annum. You would be getting it at... uh, $89.99 89.99 per annum. So that's a pretty sweet Are you just deal. making that number up off the top of your head no, right now? No, I just had minus 20 and I was, I was having, having trouble okay. for a second. <laughs> the, um, wanted to double check so I didn't make a false promise. And then uh, pro traders, uh, if you are an existing pro trader, if you want to get $20 off your next annual, just get anybody to sign up for a pro trader premium annual and both you and they will get $20 off. Um, so for the pro trader, pro traders, existing pro traders listening, you can get an even sweeter deal. <laughs> you can, you can also on black Friday, if any of our pro traders PayPal me $40, I will find a random magic card in my house and sign it and send it to you in a plain white <laughs> envelope. That is my black Friday, my black Friday deal. Me personally. Oh my God. I've never offered to sign anything for anybody before. That's hilarious. And it's not going to be good. It's not going to be a good card. It's going to pull it out of my bulk box, but you could own one of the only signed cards. Whoa. A, tra- a Travis special edition. That's yeah. a sweet secret layer if I ever heard one. Where can people find you? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to limit it to five. I'm going to limit it to five. So you guys I should also, also mention that next week is our 300th episode, and we're definitely oh, going to yes. do some special stuff there. We're not sure what yet, but there'll be prizes, giveaways. I don't know. Some people will get some free Pro Trader Let's- accounts probably. Let's skip like two weeks and then do the 300th episode. Let's just like take two weeks off and then do the 300th episode because <laughs> I'm not ready for it this week. I have to go. We have Thanksgiving this weekend. I have to travel for it. I'm on a call for work and I have to finish refinishing my uh-huh. floors this weekend. So by the time I sit down, <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, by the time I sit down next Tuesday, I'm going to be like, what is going I'll, on here? Are we talking about I'll, I'll try to make it easy on you. I'll come up with something good. We're, we're not going to do our like <laughs> just, our spec review for the year next week. That's That will save till the end of December. Right. So this will right, be some right. kind of, I don't know what kind of retrospective <laughs> the, the listeners even care about, but we'll, we'll figure something out to commemorate our 300th edition. Maybe we'll have some live live interaction with people or something yeah i had fun when we did it the one time which i think was that i, I we looked this up was that our 250th episode did we say when we when we did the video version yeah was that last year it was either last year or the 200th i can't remember i don't remember and i'm pretty sure anyway we'll, we'll take this offline Ooh. uh yeah. okay. where can folks find you online travis I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, yourself. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month, or $109.99 per year, or $20 less than that, or $10 less than $79.99, depending on whether you contact me during Black Friday specials. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum, it really is, that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, 
once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, don't forget their cool Black Friday sale that's coming up here in uh, like three days. Seems like a good bet for a bunch of you. Uh, that's episode 299 in the books. So I will see you, James, and all of you next week for, my God, 300 episodes. 300. Thanks, Travis, and we'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.